Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at Powerslam.tv. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, this is Rich Ladder here. We are across the street from MSG. NY, baby. New York City, Madison Square Garden. Hey, y'all boy, come on. Come yeah, on. man, Jeremy Donovan here from Keeping It Strong Style and Social Suplex. We're here with one half of the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. And one half of Gorillas of Destiny, but one whole of... I'm a motherfucking Tonga, realest of the realest. Hey, ain't nobody realer than Gorilla. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll be doing our official G1 Climax 29 preview, answering your questions, and of course, we'll cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Go to socialsuplex.com slash subscribe to sign up to get all the podcasts and columns delivered directly to your email inbox. This episode of Keeping a Strong Style is brought to you by PowerSlam TV. PowerSlam TV is an independent wrestling streaming service with over 5,000 hours of wrestling from companies across the world. Use the promo code SOCIALSUPLEX to get your first month free. Make sure you check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. Alright, young boy, the G1. It's almost here, man. Yeah, um, I'm super excited. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be there uh, the first opening day in Dallas. Man, it's 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 going to be great. I'm pretty excited uh, to be attending uh, Open Night G1 Climax. Like I think I mentioned last week, I didn't think that's something I'd be able to do anytime soon. And here it, here it is. I feel like we just watched the G1. Didn't we just watch the G1? Uh, it might feel that way because we watched uh, Best of Super Juniors, and it was pretty much... <laughs> How the, many people were in that tournament? Uh, t- 20. Same as G1. Oh, my God. This is why we can't have women in New Japan, because if we got women in New Japan, <laughs> then we're going to have a, a, a female G1 Climax. I can't handle this. Too much wrestling. It's too much goodness. Like, 
I'm gonna die. Like I don't, I'm not gonna be able to even maintain like my job. So no, I'm actually, I'm just joking. But yeah, I'm super, super excited for this. Uh, everything like you know, it's been building and building, and what we're like just a, a couple weeks away. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. Next week, crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, so like I mentioned, we're today we're gonna do our official uh, G1 Climax 29 preview. We're gonna go through all the competitors in the blocks, kind of give um, little little backstories on them a little bit, just kind of our thoughts on these guys and whether we think what their chances are on winning the tournament, how far they'll go, that kind of stuff. Pretty much the same thing we did for our Best of Super Junior uh, preview, and then of course uh, you guys sent in questions. Um, we'll, we'll cover those as we're going throughout, and also you know we'll give our our predictions on who we think's uh, winning the blocks and the whole the tournament and all that stuff and yeah so as far as like so before we begin i feel like there's probably a lot of like new listeners and not just new listeners but also because our numbers have been up obviously uh yeah dude the last we're on the come couple, up. couple we're on of the weeks come up. have been really good start at the bottom but now we're here where we're at basically <laughs> <laughs> but um no, but I feel like there's also a lot of uh, sudden interest in the G1. You know what the funny thing is, uh, since we're talking about numbers, last year we had a huge bump right before the G1 started, and then the G1 took place, and our numbers went significantly down, and that was always a really strange thing because we were on an upward trend, and it felt like for a lot of like a lot of like fans, like maybe newer fans, it, I, the only thing I could kind of like surmise why interest might have waned during that period is like for some people that aren't used to it the g1 might be like too daunting or like too much of an undertaking you know what i mean right do you feel like that's the case for some people probably yeah so i think uh with a lot of like newer fans who are just getting into new japan because you know contrary to the popular beliefs out there all you have to do is look at the google trends we've been looking at it <laughs> new japan is on the come up yeah they're at an all-time like high in popularity right now which is crazy um but it would be something that I feel like there's a lot of people who are who have heard of the G1. They might have seen a couple recommended matches, mm-hmm. but maybe they're not as familiar with the format or familiar with the the tournament. Or maybe you're listening and you plan to watch the whole tournament or you plan to watch a good portion of it for the first time. So this is going to be a really good guide to kind of get you through that, kind of familiarize you with, you know, the history, what to expect, you know, best viewing habits, things like that. Yeah, and uh, so, you know, G1 Climax, it is a round-robin tournament and uh, two blocks. So if you, um, you all right there? <laughs> yeah, I was choking. Edit this out. No, I'm just playing. Don't edit it out. It's fine. Uh, ah, I was dying. <laughs> what the heck? You sound like you were in a Coquina Clutch there. Nah, the Coquina Clutch is a blood choke. It's not a... It's not a th- it's not a. It's not a it's choke. Not, it's not a. It's not a wind choke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so G one climax is a uh, round robin tournament. Two blocks. We have ten competitors in each block, so a total of twenty competitors. Um, the rules are very similar to the best of the Super Juniors. Um, each match is going to have a thirty minute time limit. Uh, the final matches will have no limit. A win counts as two points, while a draw counts as one point for both wrestlers. And of course, of course, the loser gets zero points. Um, at the end of the rounds, um, the winners of each block, whoever has the most points at the end of their block, um, those two will face each other in the finals with the winner 
um, getting a briefcase which um, holds a contract for the main event for Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a little bit interesting this year because we have two nights of Wrestle Kingdom um, instead of one night. So it's going to be interesting to see which night um, the um, the briefcase holder is going to be main eventing. I think it's going to be similar to like the way WWE does it where you win the Royal Rumble and you headline WrestleMania, but then you're in the opening match. <laughs> <laughs> so oh I think that's gosh. I think uh you know New Japan's going to take a cue from them and maybe maybe that's what we'll see here this year. But no, um I I I feel very confident that the winner is going to be in the main event the second night. That's what I'm thinking as the well. The second night should be the bigger night, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I would think so. That'd be my assumption, but I don't know. In 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 the past few years, you know, the first night, well, not that there was two nights, but the first night which was Wrestle Kingdom was the big night obviously. And then we'd have the follow-up night, which would be uh, New Year's Dash and Cork and Hall. If they kind of keep with a similar model, then maybe the second night is more like a building night, whereas the first night is the true Wrestle Kingdom presentation. I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how that whole presentation um, is going to look like this year. But yeah, then of course, you know, throughout the build-up to Wrestle Kingdom, the G1 winner will defend... Their briefcase against guys that have beaten them in the G1 um, kind of built up suspense. Like, is he going to hold on to the briefcase? Um, and as, as of this point, nobody has ever lost um, their briefcase opportunity since they started doing the briefcase because there always there all there wasn't always a briefcase. Um, yeah, there wasn't always a briefcase. Uh, you know, opportunity. There wasn't always an automatic title shot uh, at Wrestle Kingdom, and there. Were, you know, more often than not, the winner did get a title shot against the champion, but it wasn't always a guarantee. It wasn't part of the stipulation. It was more like that's kind of the logical progression, but it wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily about that. The history of this tournament goes way, way back for those of you that are unfamiliar. So, you know, prior to there being a New Japan Pro Wrestling or even an All Japan Pro Wrestling, dating back to the 50s, the major wrestling company in Japan was JWA, the Japanese Wrestling Association that Ricky Dozen founded. And that's actually where uh, Inoki and Giant Baba and several other great wrestlers, they all come from that system, that dojo system. They used to have their annual Grand Prix, which was called the World Big League Tournament. It ran from 1959 to 1972. And then afterwards, every major wrestling company, as well as most major MMA companies in Japan, had some sort of form of world championship tournament world big league mm-hmm. you know grand prix style tournament uh in Jap- in new japan they've been holding a similar tournament to this dating back to 1974 so you know there's some people who might say like well this is what this is the 26th 29th the 29th uh g1 so it date it dates back to 1991 the g1 climax does but their annual major tournament actually has uh been under Several various different incarnations and names, different formats. Formats, like you mentioned, goes back to 1974. Originally called the World League. Yep, it, they, they had the World League. Later on, they had the MSG League, the International uh, Wrestling Grand Prix League. Uh, they also had a couple other like uh, versions throughout the years. The World Cup Tournament in '89. Uh, but once we hit 1991, that's when they kind of settled on the G1 Climax name. And even as the G1 Climax, this tournament has gone through numerous different styles of tournament more often than not it was a round robin style tournament but with different rules uh where we're at now this the the rule set and the um 
the format has been pretty similar the last, I would say, at least five or six years. They pretty much, uh, the only thing that might have changed a bit is just the expansion of the competitors and the uh, scheduling of the matches, the way that they actually formatted the tour. But other than that, they pretty much settled on this format for, the, you know, for, for the greater part of this last half decade anyways. But um, the G1 tournament is really, really important because this is where you're going to see the majority of your heavyweight singles matches for the entire year take place. So, you know, when you talk about guys' pushes, their stories, their trajectories, this is it. This is where it happens. Right, and you're going to see a lot of development um, for Wrestle Kingdom, for the shows on the road to Wrestle Kingdom, but your King of Pro Wrestling, your Destruction Tours, uh, your Power Struggle Tours, a lot of those feuds and rivalries are going to be set up during this uh, tournament. Because uh, the tournament is going to run from um, July 6th all the way to August 12th. So that's that's definitely a daunting task. Uh, I know last year was the first year. I've been watching New Japan for quite a while. And I've seen um, you know my fair share of G1 matches. But I've never actually sat through and watched an entire G1 tournament. I know... This was that was also your first experience doing the same thing, right? Yeah, previous years I just kind of cherry picked uh, matches that were re really recommended, and you know, since doing keeping a strong style last year was our first uh, coverage of covering a G1 tournament, first tournament that I watched uh, the whole thing. Um, I mean, it was definitely a task, but also just like an in incredible experience, you know. For there was a time where you literally could not do that. You know, if you if you were like, let's say you want to go back and you want to watch the nineteen ninety like seven tournament. Uh, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm gonna guess that there's only some matches that actually made tape. Right. A, a good majority of them were like on house shows that are unaired, so we don't even know. If, you know, a lot of the times necessarily how great some of those earlier G ones really were, top to bottom. Right. Because essentially, they would put like the big featured matches or the ones that they recorded and aired. And then maybe, you know, the kind of undercard type of matches, you know, a match that's not necessarily as big a lot of times wouldn't be recorded. No, I don't think that. I think it could, because generally New Japan will record the whole show, but there's just shows they didn't record. Good. You know, they were like house shows. You know what I mean? Like um, some shows were going to make tape and they were going to be aired on television and then other stuff was just not going to be taped because they didn't do that, you know? Um and it's only been in the past few years with the, the in increase in technology and streaming. Um, I remember there was one year, I, it might have been G124, where you could pay like a crazy fee to actually stream the whole tournament. And it was like, it was expensive. It was like $250 or something like that. And they're like, you get the whole tournament. And people like were losing their minds. <laughs> like, oh my God, I can see the whole G1. And now it's like. 9.99 yen and you can watch everything so like yeah. we're are, the accessibility to this product now is just insane plus full english commentary yeah full english night. commentary the whole tour you're gonna have uh, rocky romero and kevin kelly the opening night and then once they head back to japan i believe our good buddy uh chris charlton will be joining them on commentary as well so uh, we got the uh the ace team right there just giving us that uh, english commentary throughout um, so, yeah, it's going to be very easy for uh, Westerners to watch and follow. Yeah, and I, I would say this. Before, we're going to get into this review, but if you've never watched a G1 or you're unfamiliar and you want to get into it, if you want to watch the whole thing, by all means, that's awesome. But it is going to be a very daunting task to do that. If, if you're new and you're trying to get into it, uh, chances are you're probably not going to be watching most of these shows live because they take place you know, on our side of the world anyways in the West – 
you know, late, late at night, three, four in the morning, five in the morning, chances are for most of you, you're, you're probably asleep at that time. So you do have the luxury of kind of deciding what you will or won't watch. Maybe wait for a review, maybe read a review, see what was recommended and maybe do a, a little bit of cherry picking, you know, and watch stuff that's highly recommended. Yeah. You don't have to watch the whole thing, you know, just watch what interests you, what you want to see. Uh, chances are most of this probably will interest you because the, we're going to go through this lineup and it's literally one of the most incredible lineups they've ever had. But, you know, if it's too much for you, you don't have to watch everything. You know, you don't have to feel like this is some chore, some undertaking. Right. And on the good side, we're going to be watching everything. You know, this podcast is going to cover the entire the entirety of the tournament one way or another. So stick with us and we'll give you our thoughts, our opinions, our, our, the rundown. And uh, either way, we're in store for literally some of the best wrestling of the entire year. Like, yeah. it's, it's coming up now. And make sure you're following along at KI Strong Style. I'll be trying doing some tweeting. And just like I did for the best of the Super Junior Tournament, I'll be tweeting out my star ratings for the matches. So you can use that for a resource uh, throughout the weeks. And uh, another really great resource, you know, we don't always put over other people's podcasts on this show. But one um, podcast I would recommend you checking out. As a daily kind of thing, uh, Voices of Wrestling, Joe Lanza, if you sign up for their Patreon, the $5 tier, he does a daily uh, G1 recap of that day's show, uh, uh, spoiler-free recommendation matches, and then reviews that day's matches. So if you need a kind of a daily kind of check-in, I would definitely recommend uh, give Joe a little taste, Voices of Wrestling a little taste, and uh, subscribe to their service there and check them out. Why don't you do that? So we can get that taste. <laughs> I'm trying to get a taste. <laughs> I, I don't know if I, I have the time to do a daily. I just got to make time to watch it first, and then we'll see. <laughs> you, you got the time. <laughs> uh, so we'll see about that. But, um, yeah, definitely check those guys out. But, you know, we'll be doing our weekly show, obviously, and um, doing like, like four or five nights, depending on the week of, of and reviewing them here and giving you the best matches and our takes on them as well. So you ready for this? Yeah, let's do this, let's man. Let's get into it, man. So first, we're going to break down the A block, and we're going to start with the IWGP heavyweight champion, Kazuchika Okada. This is his uh, eighth time being in the G1 Climax, his eighth consecutive tournament. He won the G1 Climax in 2012 and in 2014. Um, You know, this year... Um, we're going to see something a little bit different. You know, if you watched the G1 Climax last year, or if you're kind of paying attention to New Japan, you know that Okada lost the IWGP title to um, Kenny Omega at Dominion. And then we kind of got this broken uh, balloon maker Okada. He wasn't quite himself. Um, you know, he, he still had great matches, but they weren't that Okada level that you're used to. Um, and obviously he didn't win the tournament last year. Um, so this year we're going to see, you know, kind of the rainmaker of old. We're going to be seeing top-notch Okada. He's a champion again. He's on his game. Um, so, yeah, this year I think it's going to be a great uh, tournament for Okada. Not only that, but Okada has such a rich history. As you pointed out earlier, he's appeared in seven previous G1s. Not only that, he's won it twice already. So we have one of the most accomplished G1 competitors. He know what it ta- he knows what it takes to win, and more often than not, he usually is one of, if not the uh, wrestler of the tournament or the wrestler of his block at the very, very least. And um, so when it comes to excitement, I feel like for some fans, 
they've seen a lot of Okada over the years because he is like the ace of the promotion. He is the face and the top guy. And there's not necessarily as much buzz around his participation right now. But with that being said, I think if there isn't, it's because people might be sleeping on the fact that this guy's probably, even given how great this block of contenders is, he's probably going to be one of the top candidates for performer of of the tournament. Well, yeah, definitely. He's definitely going to be one of the, you know, fighting for MVP of the A block and MVP of this whole uh, tournament at the end of the day. Um it's pretty amazing. You, we watched uh, the other night. We watched that uh, King of Pro Wrestling match between him and AJ Styles. Yeah. And uh, what year was that from? Twenty fifteen. Yeah. Sixteen. I think it was fifteen. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, because it, it's going into Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, what were your thoughts? Like Okada obviously was still a great wrestler, but like, did you notice that he wasn't as over back then? Yeah, he wasn't quite as over. Yeah, he came. You know, the the coin drop. He came out. There wasn't. Uh, as much as big of chair. I mean, there were still chairs a little mm. bit because, you know, he was going against the evil heel Gaijin, uh, the Bullet Club, AJ Styles. And, of course, you know, they're going to rep the, the hometown guy. Um, but, I mean, there were still plenty of AJ Styles chants um, throughout the crowd. And they just weren't as into Okada just yet. You know, he Chaos was still kind of heels at this point, And, you know, he was the one kind of challenging their beloved Tanahashi. And Tanahashi and Nakamura were, were held in high regard. And, um, they weren't ready to let go of Tanahashi and Nakamura. They weren't ready for this new uh, brash guy to come in and take their spot yet. Yeah, I think it's it's just funny when you watch some of those earlier matches, some of those matches that we heralded as, you know, top matches of the year and great performances from Okada. And that was all true. And even back then, I thought Okada was a star. But, dude, Okada's really a star now. Yeah. And it's funny because we there was criticism from that match at Wrestle Kingdom with him and Naito him going over and him having that 700-day reign. And then we were kind of like in limbo last year when he uh, – once he lost, dropped the title to Kenny Omega, he came into this G1 and he was that broken character and he was – he had red red hair and he had new attire and he didn't seem to be as inspired in his matches. He had that remix music. <laughs> remix music and um, his matches, while they were good, and he might have even still been the performer of A Block last year – he still had close to four-star matches every night, so it's hard to say, like, how can you complain? But he wasn't the Rainmaker. Like, he wasn't going out there and killing it every single night. He didn't really have a truly great match until the final block match with him and Tanahashi. So, uh, but now, once he once he returned at Wrestle Kingdom this year as the Rainmaker, it's like a whole new level of star for this guy. And it, it just shows, like, how great the booking of his character has been over the past year. You know, there's a lot of people that criticize that 700-day title reign and, and all that. But, like, this guy's a star. Like, right. a star. Yeah, he's and, a mega star. So, him coming into this tournament now, and he's going to be the Rainmaker of old. And it's been a couple years since we've seen him as the Rainmaker. But I don't know that we've ever seen him at this level of popularity in the G1 before, believe it or not. And if and if you think that that's hyperbole or that we're off base, go back and watch some of those matches from 2016 or even the 2017 G1, and tell me that he... Well, 2017, he was pretty over, but, you know, 15, 16, or even earlier than that, you, you might notice that he wasn't quite at the level of, you know, reaction from the fans that he is now. Now there's a real investment, and we're getting the real, like, rainmaker for the first time in a long time. And be, and I think also with, with the fact that there's so many new fans to uh, New Japan, and they, they're familiar with Okada, they've seen a lot of his great matches... But I, there's a lot of people who haven't seen him have a G1 with this persona. 
So I think it's going to be a whole new experience for a lot of people. And I'm really, really, really looking forward to Okada in this tournament. Yeah. And uh, it's something uh, new um, listeners, new viewers, New Japan might notice. The IWGP champion is in in this tournament. Like, how does that work out? Great point. Um, and, you know, traditionally this tournament, you know, like we mentioned before, it wasn't always like a number one contender thing. It was to determine who was the best, the grade one wrestler in the promotion. Right. So the IWGP champion wants to prove he's the best. That's why he's in this tournament. And if the IWGP champion wins, um, I believe he gets to choose his opponent um, at Wrestle Kingdom. They've never really established the... Um stipulation but you would have to imagine that something of that nature would be the case wouldn't you think yeah and um something else to pay attention to is all the people who pin um the iwgp champion in this thing Good point. um because like we mentioned earlier this tournament is setting up um the future shows coming up after the g1 climax so the people that um beat the champion are more than likely going to get it doesn't always happen but they more than likely will get iwgp title shots on the road to wrestle kingdom uh, more than likely, your king of pro wrestling's maybe your destructions. You know, last year Ishii pinned Kenny Omega, had a match at Destruction. Um, so previous, if you look back in G1 history, last you know couple of years, and you see the champion take a pinfall, he's defending that belt sometime in the fall. I mean, we're at the end of June, we're going into July, and it, it obviously it's only the halfway point of the year, but the G1 pretty much marks the the start towards the end of the year, and it it, it comes rapidly, folks. It comes real quick. I think, uh, yeah, you definitely touched on the fact that there's a Destruction Tour, King of Pro Wrestling, which is one of the big four events, you know, that they have. Uh, it's probably akin to, like, their Survivor Series almost, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other big show that we've got coming up between now and the end of the year would be the Royal Quest in, in England. Mm-hmm. So there's a good chance that on at least two of those events, maybe even three, Okada, uh, if he is still the champion, will have potential challengers at two or three of those events depending on the outcome of the tournament so that's one thing when you're you're filling out your brackets and you're you're trying to look at things there's always upsets in these tournaments and so you know who who may or may not defeat okada could actually be really surprising to you i remember like a year where ishii beat him when he was still the champion that was like a huge like shock um um, Marafuji, different guys like that have have beaten uh, Okada. Kenny Omega obviously mm-hmm. beat him one year in the tournament. Um, but my my feeling here is with Okada being the champion, it's very likely that he's going to be at the top of this block, maybe even in the finals. Right. Uh, figuring into the finals, the the not the actual finals of the tournament, but the A block finals, going into the 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 last few nights of this tournament. Um, we know there's what there's potential 18 points on on deck for whoever for each guy yeah so i mean where do you see okada uh in terms of his point rankings given this field of competitors because again this this field is loaded yeah it's very loaded and you know i was kind of working um on my bracket this weekend and trying to start figuring out you know where i'm going to have people before i enter into our contest um, and I was kind of, you know, there's an awesome, you know, calculator tool out there that I'll put along for a contest that helps you kind of calculate the points as you go through. And I was kind of, you know, doing my calculation stuff. And, uh, you know, I think Okada is going to be uh, towards the top of the block, like you mentioned. I think he's going to end up um, somewhere between 12 and 14 points, um, meaning he's going to eat um, two or three losses. I think that's probably three losses is the max, max. that he'll that he'll eat as a champion. Um, so yeah, definitely. I see in the, in the final night. I think it's going to be his matchup with Abushi is going to be make or break 
whether he wins the whole wins the A block. He could even go into the finals with like twelve points. Could probably qualify him, and then maybe have a final loss uh, at the end of the A block, leaving him with just twelve points and three losses. That would make sense, right? Or there could be some kind of a tiebreaker scenario where. You know, we saw like in Best of Super Juniors, there was like four guys that ended with like 12 points and one of the yeah. blocks, I believe. And, you know, the same thing could happen here where you have like four guys end with 12 points. But because this one guy beat two of those guys and this guy beat three of those guys, you know, the guy who has the most um, comparative wins is going to win the tiebreaker and end up winning the block. So Kata on the final night, because that's something we always have to look at. Who do you, Who's he facing on the final night? Uh, Kota, no, is it Kota Ibushi? Um... Hold on one second. Well, the one thing to... Because uh, that's something that we always need to keep in mind. When you're looking at this tour and you're looking at the finals, seeing who... some If you have a favored... You know, just spoiler alert. If you have someone that you're favored to do well in the tournament, who they end up wrestling at the very, very finals usually is an indication of potential booking scenarios. Yeah, I was right. Yeah, it's Kota Ibushi. So... Him and Kota Ibushi will be facing off on the final night. That means that there's a good chance that him and Ibushi could be factored into those, you know, those final slots. Mm-hmm. Um, what are, what are some things to look out from Okada in this tournament that you can see? Any any matches that you're, uh, you know, that you've got eye marked? Yeah, definitely. Obviously, July six in Dallas, the opening night. He's main eventing against his career rival Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, you know, those guys have always had amazing matches um, every time they step in the ring with each other. Literally. Yeah, and it's going to be, you know, it's, you know, the, the rivalry probably of the, the past decade, you know, with Okada and Tanahashi and just the story that they've been telling over the years with these guys. And, you know, lately they've kind of been on the same page in the same team. On um, the last time we saw them facing off, um, you know, was, you know, G1 Climax where um, Tanahashi ended up getting the draw. Um, and then Tanahashi uh, defeated Okada right on the way to Wrestle Kingdom. Yes. Uh, he defended the briefcase against did he defend the briefcase against Okada, right? Yes. Yeah. And so ended up beating Okada. So, you know, Okada owes Tanahashi one kind of going into uh, G1. So that's definitely one I'm kind of looking out for. And then also kind of uh, looking out um, on July 27th when Okada takes on Kenta. Uh, I think that's going to be a big deal. You know, obviously Okada is the face of New Japan, and Kenta was the face of Pro Wrestling Noah um, before he went to WWE, so it's going to be very interesting to kind of having those two kind of generational stars, um, and just two big Japanese um, legends facing off. Yeah, I definitely think the Kenta match is very, very interesting, especially if there's a possibility that Kenta might be a potential challenger. Um, I think there's a money in a Kenta Okada match. Yeah. So I think that that's one to really pay attention to, and I think there's a potential Kenta actually goes over Okada in this tournament. Yeah, and we have a question later on in um, asking about who we think can beat Okada in this tournament. But I'm gonna save that uh, before we do our predictions, um, or should we answer that right now? I don't really have my official predictions, but I think we should kind of. I think it would make sense to kind of go through it while we're here. All right, hold me pull that question up. So let's see, that was from Reddit user. Uh, where's that question? Uh, from Reddit user ablue 3 he says, who do you think Okada is losing to in the G1? Well, um, for me, personally, the, the, the matches that make the most sense for me for Okada to lose 
Um, man, I think there's a possibility. Do you think there's a well? There's a, there's so, so a lot. I'll, of, there's I'll a tell lot of guys. you. I'll tell you my three. I think he's losing to Zack Saber Jr. Okay. to set up the Royal Quest IWGB title match. I think that makes sense. And then I think he's losing to Kenta. I think that's going to be a title match in the fall. And I also think he's going to lose to Ibushi to set up a potential uh, future title match with those two as well. Okay, those are all possibilities. What about this? What about Sonata? The fact that they've been building the fact that that Sonata has been unable to beat him. They've called each other, you know, their great rivals. Mm-hmm. And it does seem like them being in the same block actually could be part of that continuing story. And I thought about that. I did think about Sonata beating Okada. My whole thing is that we get another Sonata-Okada match. Not I mean, necessarily. I mean, yeah, like, it doesn't have to be, but... I mean, everybody beat Juice last year, and only <laughs> and only one guy got a title shot, and he was the guy who wasn't even in the tournament. Right? Yeah. There are there have been lots of cases where people beat the champion in tournaments, and they don't always automatically get a title shot. It takes more than just beating him to to warrant a given title shot. Right. So you could hypothetically have Sonata beat him, and it just be, be a continuation of that story. Right. Or um, I mean, they they could draw. They could. That's another possibility. That's a, that's something else that people have to keep in mind. Like draws really could play a, a big, you know, portion of the point total. Keep in mind they don't happen often. Yeah. Um. Sometimes, if usually it's usually once there'll be one draw in the whole tournament. So when you're making your picks, think about that. When but, it, when it comes to Tanahashi and Okada, you think Okada has to go over Tanahashi given the the how everything played out last year? Yeah, personally, I I think Okada's beating Tanahashi um, in Dallas. Um, That'd be a pretty big upset if Tanahashi beat him, don't you? Think? Yeah, it would be at this point. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree with you. I think Zack Saber is one of my um, one of the people that I think is likely to beat him uh, for the Royal Quest shot. But what if Will Osprey was that guy too? That's that is a possibility. I know there. I've been seeing online. There's a lot of people thinking that Will Osprey is going to beat Okada to kind of um, launch him, you know, into the heavyweight title picture and really establish him as a star. Dude, do you know how big a deal that would be to have the junior champion defeat be, the IWGP champion yeah, in a tournament? It's a real big deal. Um, I, I personally, I think the chances are slim. The, I think that. Prince Devitt actually beat Tanahashi, though. The first time Devitt was in the tournament, mm-hmm. I think he beat Tanahashi when Tanahashi was champion, and they were both champions. Yeah. I think it's been done before. Gotcha. I, I was listening to another podcast where they said it was unprecedented, and I was like, I think Devitt did that. Um, but th- it's still just a monumentous like deal. Like There have been so few juniors that have ever been featured in the tournament, so for anybody to get a... Uh, uh, win over Okada, much less a junior, that'd be a huge deal here. I feel like a lot of what happens in this A block is going to really center around Okada. He's like the main story in a lot of ways. Right, he's going to have the target on his back because he's the IWGP champion. Everybody's going to definitely want to beat him in hopes that they can get a future title match, even if they don't end up winning the G1. And I mean, when you look at this field of competitors that he has in front of him, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Sonata, Zack Sabre, Will Ospreay, Kenta, Abushi, Fale, Evil, and Archer. We've actually seen him wrestle the majority of these guys multiple times, the, the one exception being Kenta. So we know how great most of these matches can be. That's why it's easy to say how great of a tournament we think Okada's going to have because he's got so much you know history and so much uh, chemistry with many of these guys. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, going into the final night, I think that there's a high likelihood that Okada will be, will have, like you said, 12 or 14 points. Any chance that he makes it to the finals? Uh, yeah, I think there's a chance of him uh, winning the going to the finals, the a block, winning the A block, and going to the overall tournament finals. I got to tell you, I think there's zero chance. Uh, because he's the champion, mm-hmm. I really think there's zero chance. I think it's almost a certainty that he will be at the top of the block. I mean, I don't think he's going to, but I still think it's not a huge chance, but there is a small percentage. I, w- I would give it really, I would say less than 5%, just mm-hmm. from history and the way that they've booked over the past few years. Because you've got to figure, if Okada goes to the finals, unless he's winning, which I don't think he is, mm-hmm. it wouldn't make sense for him to lose to the B-block winner. Because then, then they've blown the, the Wrestle, Wrestle Kingdom main event. Right. So I would say it's like literally less than 5%, maybe even smaller than that. I really think it's highly unlikely that Okada's winning this. Yeah, I mean, like I said, based on my bracket and the history of how they booked this tournament, I don't think it's happening, but I still there's a very slim chance that it could happen. Most anticipated match of the tournament for Okada? Uh, Kenta. I would... Agree. Just because we've never seen it before, I think the Kenta match is my most anticipated. Uh, yeah, any any final things you want to say about Okada? No, uh, that's it. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, somebody who actually defeated Okada the last time. Oh, no, it wasn't the last time, but last year when they wrestled in England, Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah. Got a clean pinfall over Okada. Yeah, Zack Sabre Jr., uh, the Current Rev Pro Undisputed British Heavyweight Champion. Obviously, we are recording this on uh, Monday night, so this is coming out um, as this episode will drop as um, the last night of Casino Road is happening. So, as of right now, Zack Saber Jr. Is, is still the British Heavyweight Champion. He's defending that title against Yoshihashi. Also, his G1 Climax spot is on the line. Um, so, there is a, a small chance that Yoshihashi could be. By the time you hear this, could be your new British heavyweight champion and taking Saber spot in the G1. That would be bizarre world. <laughs> it, 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 it will be. I, I think it's a very, very, very slim chance of that happening. But just in case, that's why I haven't put the contest out there just yet. Uh, you know, we've had bad luck with injuries and visas and replacements um, when I you know, try to quickly put that tournament out there. So. I'm yeah, kinda... I hate it when these competitors get injured and ruin our brackets. Yes, I do. We've had the worst luck when it comes to other people getting injured. <laughs> or or not, not, not getting their paperwork in. Uh, so, yeah. So, you know, I, 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 you know, if Yoshihashi wins, that's a lot of rebooking they have to do because the whole undercard is already out. Um, so, that's a whole re- – it's not just tournament matches reshuffling. It's a whole undercard reshuffling because, you know, it's Saber teaming with Suzuki Gun guys against his potential opponents. So, you're saying it's – Probably a lock that Zach's still going to be in this. Yeah, tournament. it's probably a lock, but just let's just throwing it out there. Um, so yeah, this is his uh, third tournament, third consecutive tournament. Yep, and like you said, he's the current reigning Rev Pro British Heavyweight Champion. He's done very well in the past two tournaments, so much so that last year he uh, was pretty domineering going into the last few nights, and then finally got knocked out. You know, just shy of the final nights um, on the final. Uh, during the A block final, or was it B block? A block. I think, I think he was in the B block. A, yeah. During the B block finals, he actually played spoiler to Tetsuya Naito, beating him with the Zack Driver and spoiling his chances of uh, being a uh, tournament finalist. Um, but he's done very well. He's gotten lots of uh, stoppage wins and tap out wins over guys over the past few years. 
And, um, you know, with there being no Minoru Suzuki, uh, who obviously is the master and faction leader of Suzuki-Goon, with him not being in the tournament this year, Zack Sabre aims to kind of be the lead representation of uh, Suzuki-Goon in the G1 this year. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's going to be, like, the winner of the whole thing, but he's probably going to do fairly well. Yeah, I believe last year he ended with 10 points, so he's another guy that's going to finish um, towards the top of the block, and obviously, you know, he's probably can still be the Red Pro British champion, so he's going to be a heavyweight champion, so I think they're going to try and protect him a little bit, and so he's going to finish, you know, probably 10 to 12 points. That would, I was going to say somewhere between, like, 9 to 12 points. You're probably right, 10 to 12, 9 maybe a little... A little under, he probably is going to win about five or six of these matches. Yeah. Um, the the thing to remember though is that Zach is a very they've done such a good job protecting him and making him a credible threat. Uh, and with him being a slick wrestler who can uh, get a uh, you know a crazy roll up win on you or even tap you out, he is somebody who can believably beat pretty much anybody in the block. So he can really also play spoiler in a, in a major way in this tournament. Right, and we've seen in the past how great Saber is in tournaments. Um, you know, his first New Japan Cup came in, blazed a trail, won the 2018 New Japan Cup by defeating those four aces and then having a great G1. He won Bola, I believe, the same year that he won the Super the best, or the New Japan Cup. Um, so Sabres are very great in tournaments. We saw him in, you know, the Cruiserweight Classic in 2016. He made it to the uh, semifinals. So traditionally, Zach is booked very well in pretty much every tournament, you know, 16-carat uh, tournament, I believe, in WXW. He did well in that as well. Bola. Yeah, so yeah, he he does well in tournaments. Uh, that's what Zack Saber does. Uh, yeah, I think that you're absolutely on the money. As soon as I heard Royal Quest was coming up after the G1, you had a figure. They they really with the press announcements, they they said that there's going to be major implications uh, from the G1 to play into that. So they kind of tilt, like show, dealt like showed their hand just a little bit, mm-hmm. and it does seem like somebody. Whether it's someone from the from the UK, whether it's Osprey or Zack Saber, is probably going to get a victory over uh, over Okada and then set up that title shot over in England following the G One. Um, I think Zack is my odds-on favorite for that because he is the reigning Red Pro British Heavyweight Champion, and we know how much uh, Gato with his booking he likes to book champion versus champion type of scenarios. They did it with Cody when he was the Ring of Honor Champion. It's sort of like that. That throwback to the to the eighties time periods, and I mean, that would be a really big drawing card. Zack Saber and Okada, champion versus champion, you know, mm-hmm. over in England, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, dude, the crowd will be molten hot for that, you know, and that's August thirty first. That's like two weeks after um, the G one is over. Uh, so yeah, you know, I think Saber is you know the guy for that, and so that match is happening on July fourteenth. Uh, that's definitely one to kind of look out for. Um, seeing if Sabre can beat Okada and get into that Royal Quest match. The funny thing with this A block, and I kind of touched on it when we were talking about Okada, a lot of these guys have wrestled each other before. Uh, uh, it, we, this does feel like a very fresh tournament, but realistically the A block's a little less, even though it's a better block, <laughs> it's a little bit less fresh. The, the two big, uh, you know, kind of like, like the the newcomers to the block are Kenta and Will Ospreay, but virtually everybody else has wrestled one another over the past few years. Mm-hmm. So Zach is not a stranger to any of these guys, and Zach's actually had matches with Osprey, and I want to say, I don't know for sure, but I think him and Kenta have had run-ins as well. 
So I think he's pretty familiar with almost everybody in the block. Um, but I think Zach has a really good possibility of having great matches all, all along the way as well. Um, what are some? What's some of the like standout matches that you kind of see here, and like who do you think he has a good chance of beating? Uh, so definitely, you know, keep your eyes on the Okada match. I think there's a very good chance that he can beat Okada and, uh, you know, get that title match. I would look, pay attention to the Ibushi match happening on August 7th. We kind of know the rivalry that Ibushi and Saber have had. They had a great match this year. Yeah, already. coming out of um, Sengoku Lord. They've had matches last year's G1. Um, so I love their G1 match from last year. Yeah, so there's a lot of history uh, between Ibushi and Saber. So I think that's going to be a very interesting match to kind of pay attention to. Um, We're getting the rubber match this year between him and Tanahashi as well. They had yeah. two matches this year, uh, one during the uh, King of Pro Wrestling, another at the G1 Supercard it, that we were there live. So we'll finally get the third payoff, kind of pay that that match off. Um, yeah, and I mean, the Osprey match could be one to pay attention to also because let's say both Saber and Osprey beat Okada, then I would assume the winner of Saber and Osprey would be the one to get that Royal Quest match. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on the final night of this tournament, let me see here, or, or at least the, for the A block. The final night, um, Saber's facing, facing Kenta. So one thing that we, we have to keep in mind is when they put the, the, the A block and B block nights out, they don't put the actual order of the matches out. Um, so even though they're kind of tipping their, their cap a little bit and letting us know who's going to be involved in matches, we don't know where the placement is. I got to tell you, I think there's a good chance that Zach might even do a little bit better than we think. Um, 10 or 12 is pretty generous, but he could be, like, with 12 points, if he was there, that could put him in contention to possibly win this thing. And I've got to I gotta think that there's a good chance Kenta's going to do pretty well e as well. My guess there is that Zach is either going to be trying to spoil Kenta going into the final nights or he might be in contention to win the thing and a loss to Kenta could derail everything. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, I really loved, like, the uh, Shibata and Zack Sabre series. And Kenta is a very similar wrestler to Shibata, so I think that that's got, like, fireworks written all over it. Um, but I think I think Zach's doing really well in this tournament, I gotta tell you. Yeah, same here. Um, most anticipated match for Zach in this tournament? Um, I think I'm gonna go with the Okada match just because of the, the Royal Quest implications. I am really looking forward to Will Ospreay and Zack Sabre Jr. Um, I think that that match is... I've seen it before, I really loved it, and I think that that's gonna be a whole different thing for people. Um, they have a lot of chemistry. I, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, any chance that you think Zach could maybe be the A block finalist? Realistically, uh, I don't think so. Um, I mean, there's a there's, there's going to be some chance, but personally, I don't think he's going to the A block final. For most guys, I would I'm going to say no. Zach is like a dark horse. I don't think he's going to win it. Um, I would put his chances a little higher than Okada. Yes, I would put him higher than Okada, but I still don't think he's uh, getting to the, the But I, I don't think he's getting to the block final either. But I think he's going to have a great tournament. Yeah, he's going to have an excellent tournament. So let's talk about the ace of the universe, the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yes, so this is Tanahashi's 18th consecutive G1 Climax. He won the tournament in 2007, 2015, and of course last year in 2018. 
So yeah, 18 G1 climaxes straight. That's that's pretty crazy. Um, Tanahashi is a three-time G1 winner. Um, la I think the the uh, record for G1 climax wins is uh, Masahiro Chono. I, th I believe he With sits at five. five. Yeah. So Tanahashi just needs another two to tie that up. Um, you know, last year, pretty much everyone was counting Hiroshi Tanahashi out. Yeah, everybody, nobody believed in the ace. Uh, we got that incredible uh, rant, rap, uh, whatever you want to call it, from uh, Rich Latta. Um, you know. I would just like to say Hiroshi Tanahashi was my pick to win the G1 last year. Once again, young boy with the vision. A lot of people doubted the ace. A lot of people doubted him. And I was actually thinking I was crazy. I, I kind of thought I was crazy for making that choice. But if you go back, you listen to the archives, that was my choice. And I was right. And I felt very validated at the time. Um, but Tanahashi has seen better days. He's looking really rough this year. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Tanahashi does kind of always seem to look rough right before these tournaments. But this year it seems to be a little bit more... Than normal, so he is definitely going to keep our, keeping our eyes on Tanahashi on as far as like tournament tournament performance and match quality uh, throughout this long thing. So Tanahashi definitely uh, was like it was a shock to a lot of people that he not only won the block but made it to the finals and then you know won the finals and went on to uh, to win the IWGP title in the Tokyo Dome last year, which was an incredible story. Um, Tanahashi is looking to repeat history and do the same thing this year. His most recent outing was in a singles match was against Jay White. He lost that return match, so he's yeah, got that was his big comeback match. Everybody yeah. thought you know the ace is going to get a big win going into the G one climax. You know he said he wanted to get um, better and better. Um, you know he said he was like seventy five percent and he you know working on getting to one hundred percent. But yeah, that was what the case. You know Jay White took advantage of the injuries. You know damaged him further. So it's going to be interesting to see where the ace is going to be at percentage-wise here. So, yeah, I think that, and I'm just going to come out and say it, I don't think Hiroshi Tanahashi is winning the G1, but I think that he has a good chance at winning the block. Yes, I think he has a very good chance of winning the block. He's actually one of the guys that I'm kind of debating over as far as winning, this, uh, winning the A block. And, you know, if you look back in um, the way that the last few tournaments have been booked, the previous year's G1 Climax champion ends up um, winning their block and kind of and being in that uh, in the finals and losing. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, um, you know, in previous year uh, the final. Uh, so last year it was uh, Abushi and Tanahashi in the finals, and uh, Tanahashi won. So that kind of sets it up for him winning the A block again and kind of losing to whoever wins the B block and being the semifinal. Well, he had a career-defining trilogy of matches with Okada last year. That were that were that was the in-ring you know uh, rivalry of the year last year. He's coming into this match uh, to start off the tournament against Okada, and he's got almost very little momentum going behind him, and that's a pretty daunting task to take on the Rainmaker Okada first night in America. Uh, I gotta tell you, I think he's going to definitely have his working boots on that night. Whether he's got to be all taped up, I think he's really going to come to like wrestle and deliver. One thing to look out for, though, Tanahashi in recent years, although he has, he's never bad and he definitely has good matches all throughout the tournament. It's been a while since Tanahashi had like, you know, just top to bottom great matches. He's definitely one of these guys that picks his spots. You know, when when the moment matters, he'll have a great match. But through and through. 
he does kind of have off nights throughout the tournament. Yeah, you know, last year he was kind of tucked away in that A block where you had Okada doing the, you know, the broken stuff. You had um, a lot of Bullet Club shenanigans with uh, Bad Luck Fale um, and Tama Tonga. Or no, Tama Tonga was in the B block. I think Tanahashi only had, like, two main events. Yeah, there was a lot of, you know, storytelling stuff happening in the A block. There was, the A block didn't produce a um, majority of the great matches last year. Um, but this year, he he's in the A block that is... Filled with um, killers, that's it's stacked. So it's going to be kind of hard to, to you know hide him away here. He's going to have to you know perform. Yeah, it, it definitely is a great like a much uh, tougher field of opponents this year than it was last year. He did have that the uh, the two really good matches he had last year were with Minoru Suzuki and uh, Kazushiko Kata. I think him and Elgin also had a pretty good match. But um, man, he's got a lot. This is a killer block. So there is that part of me that's like, ooh, Tanahashi in this block. I don't want to doubt the ace, but at the same time, man, like going through this many like guys is going to be difficult. There is a part of me that feels like maybe we're giving too many guys too many points. Like 12 points in this block might be too high. Yeah, There might even be more of a parity booking element, and we might see guys sitting more at like 10 points. 10, 8, yeah. You know? Um just because there's a lot of tough matches. But um, the only reason I really say Tanahashi might win is the same thing you brought out. It's just past booking trends. Do you think there's a chance, though, that Tanahashi does not so hot in this tournament and we're in the middle of some sort of storyline where he's on a downward trend and they're going to start phasing him out a bit? Is that a possibility? Kind of lower him, cool that man's jets and lower him a little bit. I mean, it could be, but I highly doubt it. Uh, I still think Tanahashi is going to have a great tournament, um, especially, you know, obviously the match order is not revealed on the last night, but he is facing Will Ospreay on the last night of A-block action. you got to think that's going to be a pretty big match that could determine who's uh, winning the block. Either of those guys could be playing spoiler for each other. Um, so I definitely think um, they're, they're not phasing uh, Tanahashi out just quite yet. That's one thing that I think is very interesting and telling. Most of the time, it's pretty easy to uh, predict a block based on the final night. But you look at the final night, you've got Okada going up against Abushi. Um, then you have Tanahashi against Will Ospreay. And you also have Kota, or, uh, Kenta and Zack Sabre. Those are six guys that I've got slotted pretty high all going into the final nights against one another so it almost feels like there's going to be sort of a round robin of people having beaten one another within that scenario Mm -hmm. and it's going to be very like you know a tie or a draw or a loss could really maybe derail the guys in one match and set something up for whoever else is later in the night so that's very 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 interesting like I know that uh, a few years ago, Tanahashi and Okada were in the finals. This was the 2016 uh, tournament. And they ended up going to a draw in the main event. You, Everyone figured one of those two guys was going to win. And when they went to a draw, it actually created a scenario where Hiroki Goto squeaked in because they both got one point and he actually had more points than them. And nobody saw it coming. This year, it kind of feels like they might try something similar to that in this block specifically. Yeah. Um, so that's something to keep your eyes on. But um, the match I'm most looking forward to for Tanahashi in this tournament personally is the Kota Ibushi match mm. because of how great their tournament final was last year. I think that there's – and also just the rich history and story be- behind Tanahashi and Ibushi from years past. 
Plus, I see Ibushi being one of the favored guys. I'm really, really looking for... Obviously, the Okada match, but I'm really looking forward to the Ibushi match. Uh, is there anything that you kind of have your eyes on? Uh, I'm really looking forward to... Well, obviously, I mean, the Okada match, because I'll be there live in Dallas. Um, but besides that one, I'm looking forward to the Will Ospreay match. Ooh. Well, let's talk about that for a second before we move on. With Will Ospreay being a junior and facing the ace Tanahashi on the final night, what do you think that means? I mean, that they see big things for Will Ospreay, and I think, you know, a victory... You know, he might not beat Okada, but maybe he can beat Tanahashi, and that's the victory... That kind of helps him solidify himself as, um, you know, a heavyweight. And I think, um, I think, Oka- I think Osprey is main eventing um, one of the nights of the G one with the junior title. I think it's going to be Osprey and Shingo um, main eventing night one with the junior title. That's a good pick. So I think he, I think him beating a you know a previous Wrestle Kingdom main eventer is likely. I think you know. Beating Tanahashi, that could say, hey, you know, I beat somebody that made have at Wrestle Kingdom several times. The juniors are just as good as the heavyweights. You know, me and Shingo can main event so night you, one. So basically with your booking then at that point, if he beats Tanahashi in the final night, you would assume that means Tanahashi's not going to the finals. With that being the case, I think Osprey's probably going to do pretty well points-wise. Does that mean in your in your mind that he would be playing spoiler on that night more so than anything else? Yeah, because, you know, like I was mentioning, um, Tanahashi is one of the guys I've, I'm pretty confident could win this block. And so that that Osprey match is going to be a key match there. And as of right now, I kind of have it Osprey uh, potentially being a spoiler guy. Either Tanahashi beats him and gets in or Osprey beats him and keeps him out. That's my feeling, too. I think Tanahashi only beats him if Tanahashi is going to the finals. If... Uh... If Tanahashi doesn't have enough points to go to the finals or someone else is there, I would say look for the Osprey defeat. I also do wonder, though, if Osprey does beat Tanahashi, what does that mean for between the two of them down the road? Because that's a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't feel like they would have Osprey beat him without a payoff. So, Well, maybe that sets up a Royal Quest rematch if Osprey's not facing Okada. Maybe. It also feels like it could have bigger implications than just that. Maybe something at King of Pro Wrestling or even potentially Wrestle Kingdom, I don't know. Yeah. Um, we did have a question here from Reddit user, why did you do that, bro? He says, Tanahashi hasn't done a high fly flow since he lost the belt to Switchblade. Will he bring it back for Dallas? Him and Okada's matches revolve around the use of high fly flows and Rainmakers in the end. So it would be weird if Tanahashi doesn't use one. I think he probably will just because he's crazy enough to do so. If he doesn't, then that really does tell us something about the state of his health and where his body is at this point in time. I I, I will tell you, though, I don't think Tanahashi and Okada need to be... Well, I don't think that their matches necessarily revolve around the use of the Hi-Fi Flow and the Rainmaker. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying that that hasn't been the case in the past. What I'm saying, though, is that these are such great storytellers and such great wrestlers that... If Tanahashi did break out a new finish or a new element to his game plan, um, they're smart enough and well-wrestled enough to where they can actually get away with doing a match without having to do a high-five flow. It's not necessary is what I mean. Yeah. Um, Or even they could tease that he's going to do it and it maybe never pays off is a possibility. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, if anything, I think the high-five flow he's going to kind of reserve in this tournament. I do think we'll see one against Okada and then, you know, if he's facing maybe like Archer or Fale, he might not bust it out. But I think some of the bigger matches like against Okada, maybe the Ibushi match, 
he is going to probably try to bust out that high fly flow. For sure. Yeah. So anything else on Tanahashi? No, let's talk about Kota Ibushi, the yeah. Golden Star. So this is uh, Ibushi's fifth time in the G1 Climax. This is his third consecutive appearance. Um, Ibushi just coming off losing the IWGP Intercontinental Championship to Tetsuya Naito at Dominion. So Kota Ibushi uh, was the B Block finalist. Not only was he the B Block final B Block finalist, but he may have had an all time career performance in the tournament last year. Um, I mean, it kind of depends on what camp, whether you're the uh, team Ishii or the team Ibushi uh, team from last year, but. <laughs> To us, we made Abushi the G1 performer of the year last year, and deservedly so, because he literally had one of the all-time greatest tournaments in one of the greatest all-time G1s. So I think Abushi is probably poised and set to maybe try and repeat the, repeat that this year. Yeah, uh, Kota Abushi, he's the second guy that I've been kind of going back and forth. So Tanahashi and Abushi, those are my two top favorites for winning um, the A block and the two guys I'm kind of flipping back and forth on whether or not they're going to win. And know. I think for a lot of people, Abushi's their pick to win the entire tournament. Yes, with Abushi kind of signing, um, you know, the lifetime contract with New Japan, um, everybody has been expecting the, rap, the rocket to be strapped to his back. Uh, we really haven't quite seen the rocket just yet. I mean, he's been the IWGP IC champion and he's been feuding with Naito throughout the year. But I mean, he had that early upset in the New Japan Cup. Um, he he's, hasn't quite, you know, they fully haven't done the full Ibushi push just quite yet. Um, and a lot of people think that's happening here in this tournament. And it possibly could. I mean, I think Ibushi's a guy um, that's going to do very well. I can see him being one of those guys that ends with 10 to 12 points, more likely 12 points, and being very much alive on the last night. I agree. Um I think Kota Bushi is going to do very well in this tournament. I think the chances of him being the A-block finalist uh, are very high. And he will be facing Okada on that final night. So there's a good chance of that. Now, the other thing, though, Okada could beat him. And that could be the thing that derails him from being able to win the entire thing. Right. And that, and that sets up your pretty much your next year-long story. Of Abushi starting his uh, real chase for the title and trying to find his way back to Okada. Here are here's my feeling on this. It's not a given. It's not a for sure thing. But I'm just gonna go. Ba- you know, when I work in um, I work in uh, investments and I work with mutual funds. And we always tell people, you know, a good investment. You look at the history of it, but the the you know, the past performance of a mutual fund doesn't guarantee future performance so i say that to say this past bookings of g1 don't guarantee future bookings of how the g1 will play out but they are a good indication of what the historical booking behind the tournament has been here are some reasons i don't think kota Ibushi is going to win this tournament number one the biggest reason he's in the same block as the champion it's been a very long time. I think I could be wrong here, but I think the last time uh, a G1 finalist uh, won the tournament and was in the same block as the champion was in 2007. And um, with that being the case, that was before the whole, you know, the winner gets a title shot in the main event of the Tokyo Dome. 
I know it's kind of, um, you know, kind of, again, shows their hand, but normally, and I don't think they, they haven't broken this rule since they started it. The, the main event of the Tokyo Dome usually is a singles match that has not occurred in the past 12 months prior. So whoever the champion is going to be facing is usually not somebody that they already fought in a tournament that year, whether it's the New Japan Cup, one of the various title defenses, or the G1 Climax. The Ibushi match against Okada has been pretty protected. We haven't seen it in a long time. Mm-hmm. And if he'd been in the B block, I would tell you, oh, there's a very good chance he's winning the whole thing. I think because he's going to be facing Okada on the final night, he the chances of him winning the block are high, but the chances of him winning the tournament are low. Like, pretty low. That's my take on it. I don't think we're going to see it, to be honest with you. Yeah, 100% agree with you. Um, you know... I still, yeah, I mean, with the past booking um, patterns, I don't think they want to blow that Okada Bushi match in the G1 and then do it again at Wrestle Kingdom, especially when you're trying to sell out two nights. Yeah. I think you want a fresh main event that you haven't done in the past calendar year. Um, so, yeah, I think that the chances for Bushi are very slim for winning the overall tournament, but I do think he has a very good chance of winning the A block tournament, especially if the person who I think is winning the B block wins it. Uh, that would make somewhat of sense. The other thing, too, is let's say he does beat Okada. He might not go... A lot of people are like, well, he just signed this big contract. They're getting behind him as a star. There's Aside from him winning the tournament, there's almost no bigger way for him to get over in the tournament other than beating the IWGP champion in the A Block Finals. That would pretty much guarantee some sort of major title shot down the line because it's the A Block Finals. And I think that you'd have a very good chance of seeing Ibushi versus Okada at King of Pro Wrestling. Right. Very, very good chance. Yeah. Um, that's my my feelings about it. I don't think Ibushi's winning the tournament. And I think a lot of people are probably going to be shocked by that just because there's so many people that feel like this is his year. But I think – I don't think he'll win. I don't think anybody from the A block is winning the, the G1 this year. Same here. Um, but – Abushi has a lot of fantastic opponents this year, a lot of good dance partners. Uh, what are you looking forward to the most when it comes to Abushi in this tournament? Uh, I'm very very much looking forward to the Osprey rematch. You know, we saw them at Wrestle Kingdom for the Never title in you know, one of the best opening matches in a pay-per-view um, ever. And it was an incredible match, and the match that kind of launched Will Ospreay um, into this whole, you know, open weight kind of storyline this year and we really saw the, the vicious side of Osprey kind of come out and he de- defeated Ibushi was kind of a big upset a big surprise a junior heavyweight beating an established heavyweight star um so I think the big rematch you know uh, uh Ibushi kind of owes Osprey one so it's gonna be very interesting to see how that plays out you think Ibushi's getting his win back I think so then that would also probably mean that if he beats Okada in the final night, which many people think he will, then that could potentially eliminate Will Ospreay if they have similar point totals. Yeah. Um, I think what I'm looking... I, obviously, I told you I loved the Tanahashi match matchup, uh, him and Zack Sabre. Uh, but I think for me, the one I'm most looking forward to has got to be a, the Okada match, just the intrigue behind it. We haven't seen him and Okada wrestle in a long, long time. Uh, when they have, the matches have been incredible. So I think that that's going to be the the key match for me on that final night, him and, Tana, him and Okada. Yeah, it's going to be a great match. 
So let's talk about the King of Darkness, Evil. Everything is evil. This is Evil's fourth time in the G1 Climax, fourth consecutive appearance. You know, Evil, he kind of had a breakout moment um, two years ago in the G1 Climax, yeah. 27. You know, he had that big upset win over Okada, and then that led to a title match. I believe it was at King of Pro Wrestling that year, um, which he failed in uh, defeating Okada. But it seemed like, you know... And he had a great match with Kenny Omega as well. Yeah, so it seemed like, you know, he had a great tournament. It seemed like the, the Rocket was kind of being pushed, put on Evil, and they were kind of trying to get him pushed into that more of the main event scene. But then, um, you know, pre the, the following year's G1 Climax um, wasn't so hot for Evil. Uh, it wasn't quite the same as the G1 Climax 27 tournament. Um, and we have kind of seen, you know, he's been not wanting to do the LIJ fist bump. And maybe he's realizing, you know, his performance wasn't as great as it should have been last year. So maybe this year we might, we might see another, you know, renewed evil and a push for evil towards the top. Yeah, in our award season, the first year we did this tournament or this uh, this podcast, evil was one of our most improved wrestlers of the year, deservedly so. Um, he didn't win it that year, but he was very close. And a lot of it hinged on his performances in, in the G127. Um, last year he was in the A block. I remember him and Michael Elgin having a pretty good match, and he had a decent match with Okada. But all in all, it was a quiet tournament for him. It, he didn't really, you know, grab the brass ring, as they say, you know? Yeah. Uh, but with this year, him having a lot better, you know, dance partners, he has an opportunity to really step his game up and show what he's worth, you know? Yeah. And with this being his fourth tournament, it's not like Evil's this unknown commodity or like a new guy like he's been here for a while he has been relegated to the tag division for a good portion of the past year but with the popularity of lij and you know he had that really good drawing match earlier this year with chris jericho uh you would think that he would really want to try to stand out and step up unfortunately i gotta tell you though i think a lot of guys might potentially treat the evil match i think evil will have some great matches but I think for a lot of guys, it's going to be lower on the card and probably less time. The evil matches, unless he really pushes the pace or or that he's booked properly, they might be like night off matches Yeah. in a lot of cases. Um, I think evil will do okay when it comes to points. I don't think he's going to be uh, you know, at the very, very bottom. But I think he's going to take a lot of pins. Yeah, I, I could see him in that, in that six to eight point range. More, I'm leaning more towards six points. I agree. Which means that's only three wins. Uh, yeah, I could see three to four wins being like hit. that's that's a pretty good barometer for evil. Uh, he probably will try to play spoiler. Um, you know, like in the G one twenty seven, he didn't have a high point total, but he beat some top guys and it set up title opportunities for him. You know, the A block is interesting. Um, you know, the what champions do we have? We've got Okada as the IWGP champion, Osprey as the junior champion. We got Saber as the British champion. Maybe and him and Zach actually have a pretty storied past. Yeah, you know, the it's, a, it's a big them. story there. So maybe if he were to beat Zach, I know that uh, Lij they're working dates in Rev Pro. They actually have that ungovernable event coming up uh, in July. So maybe there's a chance that might be one to really look out for setting up a match between him and Zach for over in the UK. I think that makes a lot of sense. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if that's something that plays out. Yeah. Uh, but the match between him and Sonata has got to be one of the most interesting matches in this tournament. Yeah, definitely. You know, we've got LIJ versus LIJ, the, you know, uh, tag team partners. You know, they were just recently the IWGP 
uh, tag champions earlier on um, this year and have been previous champions before, you know, World Tag League winners. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how that match plays out, especially with Evil not wanting to take part in the LIJ fist bump during the uh, post-match stuff in the Kazuna Road Tour. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Every year, there's always uh, pretty interesting matches when it comes to LIJ interpromotional feuds. Mm-hmm. Um, and Evil has had good matches in the past with, like, uh, say, Naito. Um I don't think him and Sonata. I could be wrong on this, but I don't remember him and Sonata ever having a G1 match in the past. I don't think so. Um, in 2016, Evil faced Naito um, in an LIJ versus LIJ match and lost that one. Yeah, I think him and Naito have been in the same block a couple times. So I think this is the first, t- or maybe even just the once. So this is the first time him and Sonata like face off in New Japan with them be- being longtime tag team partners and contemporaries. Um, plus the the kind of the whole th- the how do I say it? The placement of where they rank within their own faction is very much in flux. I think that that's a big match as far as like the power uh, setup within uh, LIJ. I think that's something that most people are actually looking really forward to. Yeah. Um, so we kind of covered Evil. Uh, I mean, for me, I'll just say it, the, the match I'm most uh, anticipating is the Sonata match. Yeah, same here. Uh, anything for you? Yeah, some, it's not a match. It would be that the one match that I'm definitely looking forward to. Okay, perfect. Uh, let's move on to Sonata. Yeah, so, yeah speaking of, Sonata. They keep, they keep it chirping, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Sonata. Uh, fourth time in the G1 Climax. Fourth consecutive appearance. Uh, you know, Sonata's another guy that's kind of had some breakout moments um, in previous tournaments. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be very interesting, you know, especially this year. You know, he's kind of had the the whole New Japan Cup push and um, the two excellent matches with Okada in the finals of New Japan Cup and at uh, Wrestling Dontaku. Um, so it's gonna be interesting to see kind of kind of how Sonata's placed here. Sonata has a new look. He's got a new attitude. He's mm-hmm. definitely been pushed this year uh, pretty significantly, I would say. Um, but it still feels like that same question. Is he going to – are they going to go with him? He had a really good tournament last year. So I'm seeing here in 2017, him and Evil did um, wrestle in the G1 Climax. And he, and he defeated Evil. Gotcha. Okay, so this is the second time. I apologize. Yeah, I didn't know. What he, I, just, I just looked it up, yeah. So, yeah, him and Evil um, have both been, like we said, in the tag team division, two-time you know IWGP tag team champions. Um but, you know, the last time they, they wrestled together, they lost to G.O.D. at Dominion, and now they're going to face off against one, one another. Um, it It's really – this is an interesting block. I know last year Sonata was in that B block. He was in a block with a lot of killers. He had a good tournament. Uh, I don't remember exactly how many points he ended with. I could see here it was um, – let me see. Sonata ended with eight points, so he, he had four wins in the tournament. And I think that's about right where I, th- I see him being slotted uh, this year as well, actually. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I believe yeah, eight points again was kind of what I expect from Sonata. Um, do you, Is there any, like, big stories for Sonata coming out of this? Because the, the, the two that I see, um, like we talked about, are obviously the match with Evil, but I think the match with Okada is a big deal for him. That's definitely a big deal. You know, uh, they've been doing this whole story this year with Okada and Sonata. Okada calling Sonata his, you know, career rivalry. Um, you know, he was saying, you know, a lot of people think it's Tanahashi, but it's really, you know, Sonata, this kind of generational, 
they're pretty much closer to closer in age than Okada and Tanahashi. And so Sonata, you know, trying to finally beat Okada has been kind of a, a long going story here. So, you know, can he do it here? Here's another opportunity, you know, his third time this year. So I would, I'll tell you, I wouldn't be surprised to see Sonata beat Okada. Um, I know we've thrown a lot of guys out there that could beat Okada. The The reality is they're not all going to beat him. He probably is only going to take two two losses, and there's about four guys I think could maybe beat him. Um, so he's not losing all those guys. Right. But I think if Sonata were to beat him because of they've made such a big deal about the fact that he's never beaten Okada, and it has to happen at some point, you would imagine. Um, I think that this is a there's a good chance that he might be one of the guys that beats him. And it's kind of smart if you have Sonata beat him because Okada already defended the title against him this year and mm-hmm. has beaten him so many times that even if Okada, if Sonata were to beat Okada, doesn't mean he automatically is ready for a title shot. Yeah. So that might make sense to do that. That you know, be the guy that beats him. I know Elgin beat him a couple of years ago and didn't get a title shot because he wasn't like in that position. Right. So that might make sense. Yeah, I think another match to look out for is the Tanahashi match. Uh, Sonata's first G1 was in 2016. and well, I love his, that match. That was his first singles win in uh, New Japan, and that was against Tanahashi. And plus, he also beat Tanahashi this year in the New Japan Cup. Yeah. So, so that should be an interesting match to look forward to. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk about the Rogue General, Bad Luck Fale. Yeah, Bad Luck Fale, uh, six time in the G1 Climax, six consecutive uh, tournament. Bad, Fl- Bad Luck Fale um, traditionally does uh, very well in these tournaments. In previous years, he's ended towards the top of the block with like ten to twelve points. Uh, last year, kind of saw a break in tradition of that booking. Um, he ended with six points. And, you know, there was a lot of Bullet Club um, shenanigans last year with a lot of cheating and DQs and not caring about the tournament. So it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, Fale is booked this year. Did, did anybody really pin Fale or were all, weren't they the majority of them all uh, DQ losses? Yeah, he, he was never pinned or submitted in the whole tournament last year. So all of his losses were DQ losses last year. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that was one of the biggest complaints of the tournament last year, for sure. Um, here's the thing about Bad Luck Fale, guys. Uh, if if they decide to go back to some of the, that, you know, storytelling <laughs> shenanigans and have him do DQs, uh, they could definitely do that. I would be, I would say it would probably be smart not to do too much of that. But I also think that they could do, they could have some element of that. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the other thing, though, is like a lot of times people really count out Fale when it comes, you know, because he is a mid card act, but he's really protected as a big man. Right. And his finisher, the Bad Luck Fall, super protected. And if he hits you with that, if you're Okada, if you're Tanahashi, you're Zack Sabre, you're Kenta, does not matter. You're going to take the one, two, three at that point. Uh, when people are doing their pickums, this is the wild card. This is the guy that you really have to kind of like be wary of because even last year he threw everybody's brackets off just by getting so many DQ losses. Yeah. But he probably is going to beat some of your top names along the way. Um, but I, He's going to play spoiler. But I got to say, I, I kind of see him um, slotted similar to last year. I think he's going to get about six points. I wouldn't be surprised about that at all. Um, he's one of these guys, though. I see him in that similar role to like a Kanemaru or someone like that, where 
some of some of these guys that might not have as many wins, like a Sonata, like an Evil, or maybe even you know Lance Archer might beat him. But then he turns around, and he beats an Okada, or he beats a Tanahashi, or a Will Ospreay. Mm-hmm. That is totally plausible. So I think you have to be very careful when you're doing your predictions when it comes to Balak Fale because he's a wild card. Yeah. Um, before we move on, there's been talks. Would you agree? Do you think Balak Fale is the worst wrestler in this tournament? Uh, I don't feel that way. Uh, who, who would you say? I think if it was me, uh, maybe I'm off base here, but I feel like Lance, I would take Fale over Archer. Really? Yeah. Wow. The thing is, okay, Balak Fale is not great, but like this past year, I've heard a lot of people be like, he's been awful, but I was like, was he really awful? He had a really good match with Okada. He had a really good match with Juice Robinson. Like he hasn't been completely abysmal. He's not a great wrestler, but like generally speaking in the G1, excluding last year, I pretty much usually enjoy Yeah, some, you, you some, get him in there with the right guys so he can have great matches. And they put him in there with two guys. Oh, and the Zack Sabre match wasn't bad either. Or I'm sorry, the Will Ospreay match wasn't bad either. Um, and they've got him in there with three guys that he has good matches with in Okada, Tanahashi, and Will Ospreay. I think that he might have like a semi-okay tournament. That's my optimistic take on it. I could yeah. be completely wrong. Uh, he he might have a fine tournament, but out of all 20 guys, I, I do think he's probably the worst worker. I would definitely take Archer over him in a heartbeat. So if, if it had been you and you didn't put, put Fale in here, what would you have rather done? You would have rather put Yoshihashi or Minoru Suzuki in? Oh, yeah. I would definitely put Suzuki in over Fale. What about Yoshihashi? Yeah. Yoshihashi, he, he has ex or I'll say great matches in G1 tournaments, and um, he, you know he's he's a solid worker. He might be bland and not charismatic, but he he has the he has what takes to go in the ring, and he has great matches. So yeah, I would definitely take a Yoshihashi or a Bad Luck Fale. Yeah, I'm not gonna cop for Fale. Fale will probably have bad matches just like he does every year. Um, I'm really thinking the match between him and Lance Archer is gonna be crap because it was when it, when they had that uh, match in the New Japan Cup. Was that two, last year? Uh, yeah, I think so. Ooh, yeah, that was bad, and I bet you that will probably be really. That might actually. That's my pick for worst match of the entire tournament. To be honest with you, mm. um, I think that that's one that's like skip. <laughs> yeah, but um, I got. I just. I think Fale is gonna get upset victories. Yeah. He has in the past. I see it yeah. again. Yeah, I think the few victories that he will get will be upsets. I agree. Uh, let's talk about Lance Archer. Yeah. The, the American Psycho. Yeah, the American Psycho, formerly one half of Killer Elite Squad. This will be his fifth time stepping into G1 Climax. The first time, though, in five years. You know, he's been uh, relegated to the tag division um, in the last five years, for the most part, teaming up with uh, Dave Boy Smith Jr. in Killer Elite Squad, a part of Suzuki Goon. Well, now, you know, Smith is out of the company. Archer is solo now. Um, here's his chance to shine. This is his first G1 in six years. Like, that's quite a gap. Um, but, you know, new because, like you said, Davy Boy's gone. It creates new opportunities for Archer. I think a lot of it is um, off the back of the great press work and sales uh, that he has done because he is a Dallas native. 
and he's been just putting in a lot of work and a lot of effort to try and uh, uh, promote this show and boost ticket sales. And so I think that doesn't go unnoticed by the New Japan office. He might have a pretty good tournament, actually. Yeah. Uh, I know he had that match earlier this year with um, uh, Will Ospreay that was actually very surprisingly pretty good, and it impressed a lot of fans. Um, you know, and he's. It, it is interesting that they decided to put both of their monsters in the same block. What do you think about that? Yeah, that is very interesting. You think they would try and separate them and kind of have each of them be the monsters in separate blocks, but. Yeah, putting them in the same block. So maybe, you know, one of them would be booked as more of the traditional monster. And maybe Archer, you know, being more athletic, um, would be booked a little bit differently than Fale. I think Archer is going to be at the bottom of the entire tournament. I think he will have some upset victories. I see him kind of in the same uh, spot as Fale, really. I think like six points. I've got him lower than that. Really? I think I think it's he'll do between two and four points. Really, wow. I mean, when you look at this list of competitors that are there, um, the only person I could see him doing similar to is Fale, and I think he'll probably I think he'll probably do a little bit lower than Fale. I, I think he's gonna do like two to four points. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I think I think uh, six points is where he'll. I think he'll get at least three wins. The thing with Archer is like he's been in the past a pretty much a tag team guy. Uh, I think he's here to take pinfalls. I think he's the lowest man on the on the totem pole when it comes to to the A block. Yeah, because I, I, I feel like the bottom of the A block, you're gonna have the, those all those bottom guys kind of tied with six points, like Evil, Fale, Archer. Um, a lot of those guys, I think, are gonna end up being like tied for six. For I could six. be wrong here, but the way I've kind of pointed it out, I here's my thing: if Kenta, Okada, Osprey, Zack Sabre, Tanahashi, and Ibushi are all doing somewhere about 12 points. There's no way that Archer and Evil and Fale and Sonata can all do like six points. It's impossible. For somebody to gain that upper – for somebody to win the tournament and get the, uh, the, the those last couple extra precious points, some one of those guys has to take less – uh, pinfalls, just mathematically, mm-hmm. someone's got to lose more than than the other guys. Well, they, I I think only those four of the six you mentioned are getting twelve points. I don't think all six of them are getting twelve points. Okay, that that could be a uh, that could definitely be a case there. I just think Archer is going to take less wins than the rest of the guys. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see him beat maybe Will Osprey the first night because it's in Dallas. Yeah, I think he's and plus Osprey beat him in the New Japan Cup earlier, so I think he's going to get that win back. Yep, but with that being said, um, I really think Archer is like going to be at the bottom. Yeah, that, I, I, that, I that's think, the way I've got it booked. I out. think he's going to be at the bottom, but along with Fale. And no, Evil. I mean like a clear bottom. Like he will be lower than Fale. He will be lower than Evil and Sonata. Gotcha. That's my that's my opinion because the truth of the matter is he's lower than all those guys in the company. Anyways, he just is. Yeah, but do you think they they might want to start elevating him now that he's singles? He's a monster. You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't. He's like Fale. Like you can elevate him anytime just by having him come in and kill people. Like he doesn't have to do well in the G one because he's a monster. That's my take on it. I could be wrong, but I really I don't see Archer doing. I see Archer beating a couple names, and that's about it. Yeah. So anything else for the American Psycho? No. Good job on good job on all the press you did, man. <laughs> Seriously, that's awesome. 
So next up, we have the aerial assassin, Will Ospreay, the current IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion and the Best of the Super Junior 26 winner, making his G1 Climax debut. Oh man, Will Ospreay is in some ways like the biggest anomaly in this tournament. I don't know what to think about him. I kind of also, we'll get to Kenta, but I kind of know what to think about Kenta either. These are the big question marks in the tournament right now. Yeah, he's uh, one of two junior heavyweights in this year's tournament. Um, he joins um, the names of Jushin Thunder Liger, uh, Koji Kanemoto, Milano Collection AT, and Prince Devitt, currently known as Finn Balor, as junior heavyweights that participated in the G1. Will Ospreay is having just an incredible year. Just an incredible year. And... Now that he's in the G1 Climax on top of the year that he's already had, if he continues to have the level of matches, which typically is above four stars, um, he's going to lock up Wrestler of the Year by the end of August, and it's going to be almost impossible for anybody to pass that. Yeah, this guy has been blazing a trail this year and definitely the front runner for Wrestler of the Year right now. And yeah, I think... He has a uh, there's a very high percentage that he will be uh, the MVP of this A block because he goes out there and you know we mentioned about guys potentially taking nights off with certain people. Osprey's a guy that's not going to take a night off against anybody. He's going to go out there and try to have bangers literally every single night, every match that he has. So I think you know all nine of his matches could be four stars and above. I think Will Osprey has a potential. It's not as high for me as Tanahashi and Ibushi, but in a, in a way, I think Osprey has a chance to win the A block. I, I, I'll agree with you. I don't think they're as good as Tanahashi and Ibushi's chances, but there is uh, somewhat of a chance that you know you could slide Osprey into that final, which helps build um, legitimacy, legitimacy behind him, and um, I, and, and he, obviously losing probably losing to the B block winner um, and kind of getting something to chase for next year. The winner of the loser of the finals of the G1, historically speaking, almost every year is in a major title match at Wrestle Kingdom. Now, with them splitting up Wrestle Kingdom into two nights, it also kind of really calls into question how they're going to book those nights, and, and it might change some of the formatting of their booking. But if one person in particular wins on the other side, let's say Tetsuya Naito, and he carries that IC belt into uh, the G1 or into Wrestle Kingdom, then it limits the potential for title opportunities for some of these guys going into Wrestle Kingdom. At that point, you only have the US and the Never title, really. If Will Ospreay were to be the finalist and he's already the IWGP champion and he carries it to Wrestle Kingdom, that actually kind of makes sense to me in a way, if you're following what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're trying to build up Will Ospreay to be a headliner for one of those nights like you mentioned what better way to do it than to have him go into the the G1 finals that would mean that you headlined Will Ospreay on not only all those like best of the super junior tour nights but also the best super junior finals also the anniversary show last year or earlier this year against uh, Jay White and then you have him headline a G1 climax finals you've elevated this guy to a whole new level of stardom and then that really makes him be you know as a headliner for wrestle kingdom a much more believable proposition yeah definitely i'm actually almost sort of talking myself into thinking Will osprey <laughs> might win this thing uh not win it but win the block win the a block yeah that would be unprecedented no junior has ever 
done that. Yeah. What? Did, how did uh, Devitt do? He was in two of them. He did really well the second. Well, he he had some upset victories the first year, and then the second year, I think he finished with like ten or twelve points, which was pr- really high for that block. But he didn't win gotcha. block. Um, I think if Will Osprey were to, if Will Osprey or Shingo were to win the a block, they'd be, that'd be the first time that um, a juniors won a block. I could be wrong. Prince Devitt might have gone to a block finals. I can't remember, but even still, that's a huge accomplishment. Um, man, Osprey, and then the other thing too. Now, here's the the interesting thing is that Osprey has faced in this calendar year Lance Archer, Bad Luck Fale. Kota Ibushi, Kazushika Okada, as well as Hiroshi. No, he hasn't faced Tanahashi, has he? No. Uh, but he's faced all those men. So there's a big list of competitors that he's already faced in this calendar year. And it, I think it's interesting that they're putting him in the same block with a lot of guys that he's already faced and in many cases beaten. Uh, almost like they're saving a lot of those other matches on the other side. Yeah, I think yeah, a lot of those guys in the B block, they're savings for future heavyweight matches, future heavyweight main events and I think too with Osprey facing guys that he's he's already beaten it's going to be a test like was it a fluke when you beat them the first time can you beat them again it also makes me feel like well they already put him over maybe we're overestimating how well Osprey's going to do given the fact that he is a junior and maybe he's going to pay some of those wins back yeah i mean he could go like 5 and 4 4 and 5 end up with 8 10 points that would still be respectable, and that would make a lot of sense if they did that. And maybe he's playing spoiler on those final nights and not factored into the... Uh, uh, Will Ospreay is one of the guys that I feel the least confident about where he's at because I could see him winning the block. I could also see him being disqualified after, you know, going into the last few nights already. He could be eliminated from the, you know, the, the point totals. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? You know, I, I think... To me, it, I, to me, in my gut, it really comes down between Tanahashi and Ibushi. Uh, but there is that small chance, but I don't think they're going to quite... You know, he's still a junior heavyweight. That's a key to remember. He's still listed as a junior heavyweight. We know how New Japan traditionally books juniors versus heavyweights. Yes, Osprey has had some key victories over heavyweights this year. Um, but I still think they might want to keep some protection between the weight classes and, you know, they might have Osprey kind of in the middle of the pack. Let me tell you the Rich Latta <laughs> G1 Climax finale dream booking scenario. Zack Sabre Jr. wins the block, goes on to face Tomohiro Ishii on the finals of the G1 Climb or the G1 Climax final night. How do we get from Sabre to... Uh... I'm sorry, uh, Will Osprey. Gotcha. <laughs> Osprey, Ishii, book it. And actually... Co- coincidentally, that's also my fantasy booking because then Ishii beats Zack Saber. You mean Osprey? Oh my god, I keep mi- mixing them up. I've always mixed up Will Osprey and Zack Saber because they're both British. Stupid. Both skinny white guys. Yeah. Uh, Ishii beats Will Osprey, and then that sets him up for a junior title shot. He wins the junior title. Then he goes into the fi- into the Wrestle Kingdom against Okada as the junior champion, champion versus champion. He unifies the belts. And Ishii is the open weight IWGP open weight champion. The new the double crown. The eye <laughs> crown. Oh my gosh. But uh yeah, no, but Zack Saber, um any final thoughts on I, I literally don't know what to think when it comes to Will Osprey, because I don't know if he's gonna be close to going all the way here or if he's just gonna be like a eight to ten point guy. 
yeah, honestly, it can go either way. So he's going to be the, probably one of the most compelling and interesting guys in this whole tournament. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that this is going to be really easy to book block, but the more I talk about it... Dude, it's a very hard... Dude, it, I was literally, like, going through multiple scenarios of how this can go down. I actually think A block's tougher than B block. It is, yeah. All right, so let's talk about the final the final guy in A block, Kenta. Yes, Kenta. This is going to be his first uh, G1 Climax, making his debut here, um, you know, first kind of big run in New Japan. You know, he has made appearances before, but this is kind of the first time since he kind of blazed a trail in Noah um, as Kenta and becoming a big star that he's going to be featured here in New Japan. Yeah, so, you know, Kenta had that run in Noah, and at that time, he was one of the best wrestlers in the entire world. We saw him go over to WWE and, you know, between various different booking, you know, calamities plus the myriad of injuries yeah. and other circumstances, uh, you know, the Hideo Itami experience never really worked out. Um, now he's back as Kenta. He's had time off and we really don't know what to think. Uh, you know, like the last like really great match that he had was like against Marafuji at that anniversary show in, in Noah last year. Yeah. And... You know, now he's back here, and he's in New Japan for the first time. And um, he's been in other tournaments. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier uh, in the show, almost every major company in Japan has their own version of, of a Grand Prix. Noah has the Global League, which is an offshoot of what the of the Champions Carnival from All Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, very similar format to the G1, and he he's won the Global League in the past. Yeah, so yeah, he's won that, but you know that was. Like what ten years ago, um, I think it's been a long time since Kenta has been in one of these tournaments, and he's never been in a in a G one climax. And there's so many questions surrounding Kenta. Like every match is almost a first time ever match in this tournament for him. Not all of them, but the majority of them are. And we don't know if he can still go or not. Like right. we don't know if the injuries have like sidelined him, and maybe like he's diminished, and too many years have passed, or if he's going to come in and like be reinvigorated like we saw John Moxley and like he's going to like kill it in this tournament I'm very optimistic about Kenta um you know I'm probably one of the few people along with um Clive that watch 205 live pretty much on a weekly basis and you know Kenta was having some pretty decent matches towards the end of his 205 live run and he wasn't in great shape he wasn't motivated and they were booking his matches. The agents were telling him what to do. He couldn't do the go to sleep. He was doing this awkward finish. Wasn't wrestling the match that he was comfortable with. Now we're seeing an in-shape, motivated Kenta who's not going to have an agent telling him every match to do. He probably is going to be able to use the go to sleep. So I think he's going to have some great matches in this tournament. Yeah, I know that um, when they did the partnership with uh, Noah a few years back and they brought in uh, Marafuji and they brought in uh, Nakajima, they really pushed Marafuji to do well. Um, we don't know what Kenta's contract situation with New Japan is currently. This could be like a one-time deal where he does the tournament and maybe one other appearance and he's gone. He might not have like a, a long-term contract. He might just be a freelancer making appearances. And if that's the case, they might not – there's a couple ways they could go about it. They could be like, well, he's here. He's name value. We're going to push him to a level, but that's all. Or they could be like, we want to, we want him to sign 
so we're going to get behind him in hopes that it it creates a, a good relationship between us. Um, either and they wouldn't be in the wrong either way, you know. However, they want to go about it. On the other hand, he might be here for a long period of time, and it's already understood that this is where he wants to be, and this and that's what they want. And they might be going with Kenta, and we just don't know it. Right. You know the the rumors of his talks with Noah and them not having enough money. Um, kind of makes me lean towards the fact of him kind of landing in New Japan uh, for the foreseeable future. Like we mentioned, nothing is confirmed. That's just me kind of speculating based on what we've heard from um, other kind of programs and newsletters and people who have been closer to the situation. Um, so kind of based on the, that, you know, the Noah talks falling out, I, I feel like New Japan's going to be his spot in the future. So I do think he will see more of him going forward. And I do think he's going to be booked very strong in this tournament. He's one of the guys I see having at least 12 points. I think he's going to have, you know, six wins here. Maybe 10, but I'm leaning more towards 12 points for him. And I think, you know, he's going to be one of the guys alive on the final night. That Sabre match is going to be a big match. Either one of them is going to either Sabre is going to be playing spoiler for him or he'll be playing spoiler for Sabre. Personally, I think he Sabre is going to be the one playing spoiler for Kenta. And Kenta is going to be... Um, you know, going into that final night with probably 12 points. And if he beats Sabre, he wins the whole thing. I think that Kenta could win the A block. And I think you're saying that it's a little unlikely, but possible. Um, And I agree with you on that. But here's the thing. New Japan has a tendency, especially Gato, of making stars in these tournaments out of guys that weren't stars. Um, If you want to go with that logic, the guys that we think are probably winning, like Ibushi... Tanahashi, outside chance of, say, uh, Will Ospreay. Those are, like, all outside guys. They're pretty established. Kenta, new commodity, never been here before. If you want to just... I think most people have it booked to, like, maybe he beats a big name like an Ibushi or like an Okada to really establish his name. But, dude... They could go the Zack Sabre route and get him over in one tournament by making him win the whole A block. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is that 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 would create huge buzz behind the Budokan Hall show. That's that's where they're doing the finals, right, Budokan? The last three nights, yeah. A block, B block, and the overall tournament final. Man, what a way to have a historic and incredible uh, finale than putting Kenta, one of the biggest Perezu stars of all time, in the finals of your G1 Climax there's a lot of cachet. There's a lot of sexiness to doing that. And I think not everyone is kind of looking that way. Uh, I think it has to do with whether his body holds up, what the deal is going forward, and how much they want to push him. But I think Kenta could win the A block, man. Yeah, I really do. He is a favorite. Uh, you know, I'm still leaning towards either Tanahashi or Ibushi, but he's definitely uh, one of the guys up there that could could end up winning the whole winning the, the A block. Um, him now on the first night, he's facing uh, Kota Ibushi. Him and Ibushi have a lot of history. I'm not uh, as familiar with Noah, but I know that they faced Noah and uh, other places as well. And so there's a lot of history between him and Ibushi going going back. They've, they've got quite a match history between one another. Um, and then, but other than that, when you look at a lot of the other guys in this tournament, that it's like, it's a whole bunch of first-time, like, dream matches. Like, Kenta being inserted in this like turns the a block from just really good to like oh my god yeah like what are you looking most forward to when it comes to kenta 
Um, there's so many matches, but I think the Okada match is one I'm going to keep my eye on, and I think um, you know that's going to be a big matchup, like I mentioned earlier, and I think um, Kenta could beat Okada, and that could be one of our fall title defenses. I agree. I also really want to see him and Tanahashi. Yeah. Uh, at the same time period, they were both aces of their respective companies going back. There's, there's a story to be told there. And I think it's a match that, you know, in 2008, 2009, like, people really, really wanted to see. And now we get to see it. Uh, I don't know what to expect there, but I really want to see Kenta and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Really, really want to see yeah. that. Um, man, there's a part of me that thinks Kenta might win the A-block. Like, that weird, like, tingly part of yeah. me that's like... It makes a lot of sense. I might go with Kenta and A block. I haven't finished my blocks yet, but I feel strongly about that. All right. Anything else on Kenta? No. Let's move on. Let's talk about uh, the B block. Yeah, man. Let's look at this B block. We're going to start off with Tetsuya Naito, uh, the current IWGP Intercontinental Champion. Uh, Naito is looking to win his uh, third G1 Climax here and possibly headline the Dome once again. Um, you know, Naito's whole goal is to uh, be the first man to hold both the IWGP Heavyweight Champion and Intercontinental Championships. Yeah, he's been talking about that for quite a while. He accomplished the first step of that goal at Dominion by defeating uh, Kota Ibushi to win the IC title. And now he just needs to win the G1. If he wins the G1, uh you know, provided, you know, that uh, Okada's still the champion re- come Wrestle Kingdom time, then at that point you're looking at a rematch of their uh, main event from the Tokyo Dome two years ago. And that is something a lot of people think is going to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, Naito, I think, you know, both of us have been pretty high on, you know, a lot of people asking us when is Naito getting a shot. Both of us have been saying this is the year Wrestle Kingdom 14. You know, Naito's going to win the G1 um, and kind of go in and finally get that moment against Okada. Well, they, they uh, see, when he first lost to Okada, I was like, he's going to win the New Japan Cup. Then he didn't. And I was like, then he's going to win the G1, and then he didn't. And then, you know, so on and so forth. And there have been a lot of potholes, a lot of disappointments since that, that big match between him and Okada at Wrestle Kingdom all those years ago. Now he has a chance at redemption. Um, now, New Japan likes to book a lot of heartbreaks. And so there's the chance that Naito does not win this G1, but I got to tell you, out of all the competitors in A Block, not only do I think he's a likelihood to win the B Block, Tetsuya Naito is my pick to win the G1 Climax and to headline Wrestle or Wrestle Kingdom against the IWGB champion, which I believe will be Okada. Yeah, and we did have a question here from Rambone Slam Pig saying, "Who do you think is winning the G1, and why is it Naito two belts?" Um, so Josh thinks Naito's winning the whole thing. I also think Naito's winning the whole thing. I think he's winning the B block, and that's why I was kind of bouncing back and forth between Tanahashi and Ibushi because, you know, the Ibushi-Naito rivalry has been really hot this year with those three matches, and with the finals being in the Budokan Hall and it's already going to be sold out, you you really don't have to do a new match there, or they they could easily run back um, Ibushi and Naito, and they would have an astounding matchup, but I also think... We haven't seen Naito and Tanahashi in a while. 
Um, so I think that that could be a great um, G1 final as well. That's why I was kind of bouncing back between Tanahashi and Abushi. But, you know, I'm, I'm very confident that the ungovernable one here, he's going to win the B block and uh, main event the second night of Wrestle Kingdom 14. Yeah, most years the G1 finals is a big show for New Japan. I know last year, even though we had a great finals um, for a match, it sort of felt like they treated it a little bit lower top to bottom as a card than they had in years past. Part of that might have to do with the fact that, like you said, Budokan Hall sells out. It's it's going to sell out. We already know that. Um, so that's awesome. But I also think with them, every year it seems like they're getting more and more ambitious with the size of their buildings and with, the, you know, with their schedule as well. I think that what you need to do there is you need to have a more ambitious uh, finals match regardless of the fact that it's already sold out, you know. Um, they could do Naito and Ibushi because it's already been done and it it doesn't have to draw because the, the card itself is going to draw similar to like a WrestleMania sort of situation. But I would like to see Naito maybe face someone other than Ibushi in that finals, just depending. Although, like you said, the Ibushi match makes a lot of sense. But I really got to tell you, like the whole thing with Naito, I think some people are questioning whether he could actually win this because he's the IC champion. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to people. Plus, the fact that you're if he does win and he goes in as the champion, you're eliminating uh, an entire title match off of a two night card, which seems counterproductive. But when you look at the story between Naito and Okada and the role the IC title has played throughout their entire feud and history over the past six years, I think that there's no other match that makes as much sense as Naito and Okada. And the IC title has to be involved in that. Yeah. And he's been talking. I don't think that they would have brought up the fact that he wants to hold both belts on commentary so many times if it wasn't something that was really going to play into, you know, go into play. Right. And, you know, we always talk about, you know, guys kind of going for in the business for themselves, cutting promos. I don't I don't really think that's the situation here. I really think they're going to go with this whole, you know, Naito being dual champions. Now, they could be swerving us. I really think Naito's for sure winning the B block. I really think it's a lock. That's how confident I am about it. Whether he wins the whole tournament, I think it's highly likely because he's in the other block from Okada, and the Okada match hasn't happened since that Wrestle Kingdom event all those years ago. But they could swerve us and maybe take him to the finals and have him lose, and that's a possibility. Yeah. Especially if whoever wins the the A block actually lost to Okada in the tournament. Then you have a guy who lost but now is trying to redeem himself that kind of makes sense to me yeah um what are we gonna do with the lij fans if naito loses this ah that's the other thing that's the main reason i think naito needs to win he needs the win uh with the way they booked him with so many like he's still a top guy he still gets the loudest pops almost every night he's out he's still a top merch seller but they need to pull the trigger on him. I also think it's important that he wins the IC title and the IWGP title at Wrestle Kingdom because he's never going to really probably have a prolonged title run the way that a Tanahashi or an Okada has. So what better way to establish him as one of your top big three guys of this generation than to say he was the one guy to hold both belts simultaneously. Now you've solidified him on a different level uh, than having to have a 700-day reign. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why it makes sense to me. I, I got I'm dead set Naito's like I almost never go in this hard on anything like this. Naito's winning the B block. He's winning the finals. 
he's going to win the IWGP title at Wrestle Kingdom. I know it's like very definitive definitive and i know it seems like way too easy and way too open and it's like really but dude they're gonna heat this guy up he's winning the title that's what's happening yeah and we have an interesting question here from twitter follower at tweeter ain't shit he says do you guys think the a block final could come down to okada having to beat ibushi to send osprey to face naito in the finals or do they save osprey versus naito for next year I think that, that that that's something I could really see happening. I could see Naito and, and um, Osprey. I could also see Naito and Kenta. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, or I could see Naito and... I, I think any of those guys, Tanahashi, Abushi, Kenta, or Osprey, all make sense to me. Yeah. So uh, any one matchup or two matches you're looking forward to for Naito? For me, out of this block, the match that I'm most looking forward to when it comes to Naito, uh, it's John Moxley. Mm. Oh, but you know what? The Shingo match. That's what I'll say. My answer is uh, Shingo. Okay, you go with Shingo. I, I'm going to go with Moxley just because that's you know that's a former WWE champion. That's the biggest star in the Indies, and Naito's maybe the biggest one of one of if not the biggest star in New Japan right now. That's going to be a huge match. Uh, but the Shingo match, talk right, about that. You know, another LIJ versus LIJ matchup. There's a lot of history between Naito and Shingo, and they kind of told the whole backstory with those guys and their training, and Naito kind of being the one to bring Shingo in. And he's been, they've been saying like Shingo, or Naito's been trying to get Shingo in for a while now. Finally got him in. He's part of LIJ. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that dynamic kind of plays out. Uh, and also, the one other match that I'm looking forward to to Naito is the Jay White match that's happening on the final night. Um, that's oh, been a, so protected. Yes, it's been a very protected matchup. We really haven't seen those guys. We haven't, you know, Lij and Bullet Club really haven't gone at it. It's been, you know, Bullet Club and Chaos. Or, I was shocked to see that that match was going to be on the final night. Yeah. So yeah, I think so. I'm really looking forward to see how that match kind of plays out because we haven't really seen those guys interact at all. That will be your B Block final. Like most likely, like I'm very very certain that it will be. Yeah. So let's talk about the Stone Pitbull, the reigning never open weight champion, Tomohiro Ishii. Yes, Tomohiro Ishii. This is his seventh uh, G1 climax um, appearance, and like you mentioned, he is the never open weight championship five times holding the belt. Now, um, Ishii always has bangers in the G1 climax. You know, he normally. Falls in that eight to ten point range. Um, he's, he's usually not in contention to winning the whole block, but he always, always is in contention for the MVP of the block just for the match quality that he puts out. It's going to be um, very similar to like what we saw in the New Japan Cup and pretty much every match Ishii's had this year. He's going to go out there. He's going to try and have a strong style brawl, and he's going to produce some of the best matches in the whole tournament, dude. Ishii versus Cobb, Ishii versus Goto, Ishii versus Shingo Takagi, take my money, Ishii versus Jay White, Moxley, Naito, oh my god, Ishii and Yano, (laughs) (laughs) like, I'm telling you right now, Ishii is going to be the performer of the B block, he's going to be the MVP of that block, period, as strongly as I feel about Naito winning the block, Nobody's going to outperform Ishii when it comes to G1, especially in the B block this year. Um, He's going to kill it. Unfortunately, there's no way I see Ishii winning the block or even being very close to it. You're probably right. He'll have four to five wins. 
Um, I think some of his matches will really play into uh, future never open weight title defenses, which is great. He's going to kill it in this tournament, though. He just is because he's Tomohiro Ishii, and that's what he does. And I'm really looking forward to the Shingo match, him and Shingo. That's the match I'm most looking forward to. And I'm calling it right now. I have a feeling that... Five stars. It's going to be strong style fight of the year candidate. Strong style fight of the year. Five stars. Ishii and Shingo. (laughs) It's the match we've wanted ever since Shingo came to New Japan Literally, go back in the archives, and you can hear me salivating over the possibility of Ishii and Shingo. This is one of the matches I've been begging for. Uh, Gato listened, and here we go. Also, like, him and Moxley, I'm thinking, like, when him and Moxley fight, I'm going to be like, you wanted this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You wanted to get out of your comfort zone, kid. Well, you're you're out in the deep waters now, son. It's time to sink or swim. This ain't Seth Rollins pro wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) This is Carl Gotch's pro wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's going to be great. Uh, So let's talk about... um, Juice Robinson, the flamboyant one. Yes, Juice is his third appearance in the G1 Climax. He's coming off that uh, big loss against John Moxley at the Best of Super Junior Final. Um, we, you know, we saw him cut the hair. He said CJ Parker is finally dead. And I think this is a tournament where Juice is really going to try and prove himself. Um, last year, didn't have a great tournament. He went in as the IWGP US Champion. I believe he got, what, six points ate a lot of losses. Everybody was kind of expecting him to have um, a great tournament because he was going in as a champion. Wasn't the case. Um, I think he's going to be really out to kind of prove himself here. I think Juice Robinson, uh, we thought last year he was going to have a really great tournament. Unfortunately, even though he was the U.S. champion, he was in that B-block tournament with just the killer block of all killer blocks, and he did fairly poorly. He had good performances, but in the points total, he did fairly poorly. This year... I think he's really because they've even though he's not the champion anymore, they've elevated him as a performer. They've elevated him in his standing in the company. He's coming in with a new demeanor and a more serious attitude. He's cut his hair and he's looking for revenge on John Moxley. And he is facing John Moxley on the final night of the B Block tournament. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to do well in the points total. I think he's going to be between ten and twelve points. Oh, really? Yep. Mm. I, I, th- I think he's going to be close to the top. I think I'm thinking somewhere eight, between eight and ten. You could be right. I don't think he's going to quite get to the twelve. I think he's going to play spoiler for Mox on that last night. He might, but I think that it's going to be pretty close. Like I think that he'll be eliminated. Okay, my booking. If you want my fantasy booking, yeah. Jay White's going to beat him, and um, Jay White's going to beat him, and so is Naito. Naito. So if he beats John Moxley, he'll be a spoiler. But he's still going to wind up with twelve points. Gotcha. Yeah, or or, or ten, something I, close I th- to that. I think the end goal is a another a third match between Moxley and Juice in the fall for the U.S. title, and Juice getting that U.S. title back. I agree. That's that's my booking as well. I just think that in order for it to be compelling, he's still uh, and for that for them to elevate that U.S. title, he's going to have to do well in the tournament, and mm-hmm. for for that win over uh, Moxley to matter, he's going to have to also have gotten several big wins in the tournament. Yeah. I see him beating guys like, look at look at the field of guys that are here. You know, there's a lot of winnable matches. Yeah, he can, he can beat a Yano, he can beat a Goto, he can beat a Jeff Cobb, he can beat a Tai Chi. Bro, him and Ishii always have great matches. Yeah, he's beaten a lot of these guys. I think he's winning the majority of his matches. That's just my feeling on yeah. it. Yeah, I think I think, you know, when we always talk about Juice getting elevated, this can be a further elevation from him. He's not going to win it. I think at the end of it all. 
He'll end up with as many points as the top guys, but he'll have been eliminated because of the losses he took from the guys that he's tied with. Yeah. But I think Juice is going to do fantastic in the tournament. Yeah. Any one matchup you're looking forward to? John Moxley. Yeah, I think that's going to be a big uh, anticipated rematch. Also, I think the Goto match is one to keep an eye on, just based on their past history. I think Juice and Jay White is always very, very interesting. Oh, especially after their uh, San Francisco match. Yep, yep, plus their history of, of you know being young Lions around the same time and all that sort of thing. I think that's one to really keep your eyes on. Yep. So next we have everyone's favorite DVD producer. The true ace of New Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> Toru Yano making his 14th G1 Climax appearance. Yeah, and whether you like comedy wrestling or not, it's hard to deny Yano's importance in the tournament. Uh, yeah. He plays a very, very important role. Um, he's the breather match guy. Yeah, you know, these guys are having grueling matches, a long tournament. You gotta have to have that guy you kinda have the night off with, a guy you can have a little lighthearted match with, and that's uh Toriano's role, and that's been his role in these, you know, past few years in the tournament, every, every tournament he's been in. Yeah. So last year we had a story where he tried to get rid of his cheating ways and he wanted to be fair play. Uh, Toriano, he did a lot more wrestling. We called yeah, him Shooter Yano. Yeah, we Yano. had Shooter Yano. He was hitting those uh, Steiner-esque belly-to-belly suplexes. He was doing fireman carries. Speaking of Steiners, how great was that Steiner Brothers versus Hase and Sasuke match? Oh, dude, you? it was freaking incredible, dude. <laughs> that match is awesome. I love the Steiners. But, uh, yeah, the thing with Yano, though, is, like you said, he can um, upset pretty much any wrestler out of nowhere and spoil any favorite in the tournament. And more often than not... He does, ladies and gentlemen. So when you're doing your pick'em brackets, Yano's gonna beat someone that you really favor. I mean, he this beat match. Kenny Omega last year, right? Yep. So and he's beaten Okada and he's beaten Tanahashi. Where's Toro Yano's IWGP title <laughs> match? <laughs> um, so I mean, he's a sneaky one. You know, all it takes is a low blow behind a referee's back and a roll up, and and who knows? We might see some tape pulled out, taping dudes up and getting count out victories. You, you never know what you're going to get from Yano. There's going to be shenanigans. Yeah. Well, well that being said, though, I, uh, he's going to get some upsets. I don't think his point total is going to be very high. He usually finishes in that six-point range. Yeah. And I think that's where he'll be at once again. There are uh, a lot of, like, we d- a lot of the guys he's facing are guys we haven't seen him face over the past few years. So it will be a little more interesting with Yano. It's not like the same matches we've seen year after year after year. Um, anything you're looking forward to when it comes to Yano? Um, the one match I think I'm really looking forward to is the uh, the John Moxley match. Yeah, <laughs> just to, just to see what what that dynamic's gonna be like. You know, that might be really funny. Moxley has kind of gone away. Uh, he's trying to be more serious, and you know, in WWE we've kind of seen some goofiness with him. With the Dean Ambrose character, you know, some of the Mitch to plant stuff and some other kind of goofy stuff he did. So it's going to be interesting to see, is for this one match, is he going to kind of lean into the goofiness with Yano? Or is he just going to be a straight killer? Uh, they could have him just come out Death Rider, Yano. Yeah, Death Rider. Like, Yano's trying to give this man a DVD. Just boom, Death Rider gets him out of there. I think a lot of people have, like, Taichi and Yano earmarked as the worst match of the tournament. Uh, from, like, a star rating sp- like scale point, they might be correct, but I think that that has a. It could be one of the most be really entertaining, entertaining. Yeah, I 
I gotta tell you, I don't think there's any chance that it's worse than Fale and Archer, though. That's just yeah, my yeah, personal opinion. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Yano and Jay White might be really interesting. Uh, Yano and Takagi, how's that gonna play oh, out? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, we, we've seen uh, Yano and Ishii before in the past. And was it who who squashed him last year? Was it Goto or was it? I think it was Goto. I think the Ishii match is pretty short, short, part, short too. And you know those guys, they're former tag. I mean, they are tag team partners. They haven't really teamed together in a while, but you know they're former partners. For I mean, they've, they've held an IWGP t- uh, tag also, titles, right? Juice is gr- yeah, they have. No, they've never have. No, but they've done well. Actually, they might have. I'm trying. But they've to done well in like World Tag Leagues and stuff like that. But you know, it's always funny seeing that whole Ishii Yano kind of relationship, and Ishii just like kind of over the whole antics at the, by the end of it. Even though Juice is more serious, he's a great comedy guy, and so him and Yano might be hilarious. Yeah. Um, so let's move on and let's talk about uh, the returning Hiroki Goto. Yeah, so Goto, this is his 12th uh, G1 Climax coming up here. And like you mentioned, uh, he's pretty much been absent after that loss to uh, Jay White. And yeah, kind of in seclusion. I know a video kind of dropped on NJPW World Free video, um, kind of showing Goto's kind of um, kind of comeback and going to the LA Dojo to, to train with... Um, with Shibata and the L.A. Uh, Young Lions. So it seems like they're kind of trying to build this kind of redemption arc for Goto in this tournament. Goto was on the undercard of Wrestle Kingdom this year. Let's just let that. He, he came, hoodie Goto. Wait, yeah. hoodie Goto. He came out in a hoodie, man. Yeah. He was over it. Um, and this is a guy that's been in G1 uh, finals. You mentioned that year that um, the tie got him squeaked in and he had him versus Kenny Omega in the finals of that G1 climax. I'm trying to remember. I don't think Goto's ever won a G1, but he's won, I, he at one point he was Mr. Uh, New Japan Cup. I think he's got the most New Japan Cup victories in history. Yeah. But, um, you know, this year he had a rivalry with Jeff Cobb for the Never title, and then that was about it. He did have a series of matches with Taichi last year as well. But other than that, he hasn't really done much. The last time we really saw him was that, that great match he had with Jay White. Um, here's the thing about Goto. Goto's at a point in, in the company's uh, trajectory where he's a very tenured guy, but he's not going to do great in this tournament as far as points total goes. When it comes to actual match quality, Goto always comes to play when it's G1 time. Yeah, he's going to be one of those guys that puts out great match qualities. He might not be near the top, but he could be a contender for the MVP of the tournament just based off match quality alone. Not when Ishii How- exists. In contention, not, not. I don't think he was going to win it. There's no one who's going to be in contention. Ishii's so Shingo? far. Shingo, maybe. <laughs> uh, but here's one interesting thing, though. As I was kind of booking out my tournament this weekend, I had Goto in Low. that in that six point range. Yeah. But that video on New Japan World has me thinking differently now. Mark. Why would they go out of their way to produce this video and do this whole start this whole redemption story if he wasn't going to do well in this tournament? He might, but look at the field, man. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine he'll do better than you know eight points. Yeah, I, I think eight point. I mean, I have him in that low six point range. I think with that video, he he has to at least get eight points now. I don't think he's going to do eight points. I think he's doing like six points uh, between like four and six, but eight would be the tops. Yeah. That's my opinion. But uh, Goto will be a guy who definitely like 
the fact that the U.S. champion is in this tournament, the fact that the never champion is in this tournament, those are divisions where you could definitely see Goto. And the IC champs in the tournament. And the IC champion. Those are all divisions where you could see Goto slotted. He's a top mid, mid-card mid guy in New Japan. So be on the lookout for him to get maybe an upset victory against one of those three champions or even several of them. That's not out of the question. Yeah. Uh, but Goto's going to have a great tournament, period. Yeah. Uh, then next we have the former IWGP heavyweight champion, the Switchblade, Jay White. Yeah, so this will be um, his third appearance in a G1 Climax. And, you know, former IWGP champion uh, Jay White has been doing big things in New Japan since returning from excursion from Ring of Honor. And I, I think he's going to have a great tournament this year. We know in last year's tournament we saw... The, a lot of shenanigans with all the Bull Club members that were in the tournament. He um, There was a lot of um, cheating, um, you know, distractions. Um, he wasn't with Gato yet because um, that, that turn came after the tournament, right? Yes. So, yeah. so but he, he was still a Chaos member last year. Right, yeah. So him just cheating, a lot of ref bumps, chair stuff. So, and, you know, kind of like Fale and Tamatanga, people were not happy with Jay White's performance. In this tournament, due to all shenanigans, but I think this year, I think we're we're going to get a little bit better of a tournament out of them. Jay White was almost a tournament finalist last year. They really booked him strongly, especially in the beginning. He went back to back with wins over Tanahashi and Okada to start off the tournament. Um, he was a strong contender. He was in the A block, right? Yeah, yeah, very very strong contender. He ended up losing to Evil to to be uh, spoiled on the final night. But now he's the leader of the Bullet Club. He literally is the catalyst behind the uh, you know partnership between Chaos and Sekigun, which is almost un- unheard of, you know, throughout this whole calendar year. And he's done quite a bit, you know, over the past calendar year. Whether it was winning the IWGP title, beating ma- major namestays or mainstays that we mentioned, like Okada and Tanahashi. <laughs> and on the final night, he is slotted against Naito, who is a tournament favorite uh, to win this. If there's anybody that I think might win this block other than Naito, my own, the only other guy I legitimately see as winning it is Jay White. Yeah, you know, we had a question here from um, Dan, our buddy Dan Coffin, asking which Gaijin has the best chance of winning, and I think that Gaijin would be Switchblade Jay White. Uh, I think there's a great chance uh, of him winning the B block, and he could potentially win the whole tournament. Um, you know, he's not, you know, we're, we're both kind of firm behind Naito, but I mean, if it's not going to be Naito, Naito, Jay White is the guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, John Moxley's in this this block as well. I don't see, because of his AEW affiliation and things like that, I don't see him as being able to win the block. Um, now, if he had been in the A block and there was no chance of him headlining, I could see him have possibly winning the A block and then getting knocked out. But I think whoever wins the B block, just seriously, just being honest, I think whoever wins the B block's winning the tournament. So that's why I really do discount Moxley from winning the whole block. But Jay White is a guy that you could potentially see winning the block. The only problem with that is the reason I don't count on Jay White winning is because I don't think they're going to go with Jay White and Okada again at the Dome. Yeah. That's the one thing that kind of disqualifies him for me. But I think we are going to see him on the in the main event. You know, 
on the final night against Naito, he's going to have between 12 and 14 points. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely going to be on the top of the block. It's going to be him and Naito neck and neck. I could actually see Naito going in with, like, 12 points and Jay having 14 points and Naito needing to beat him to win the whole block. That's Mm kind of my booking. Yeah. That's what I think is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's going to take this this a little more seriously than last year. And I think we're going to see great performances out of Jay White. And I think a lot of those people over the past few years who've kind of like discounted Jay White. I mean, the truth of the matter is Jay White, even though it's not he hasn't had had, had as great of a year as Will Ospreay, he's had a great year. Yeah. Like the the two matches with Okada, the match with Tanahashi, the match with Goto. He's had really – and then the match with Will Ospreay. Like, he's in the running for Wrestler of the Year, and if he has a really, really good tournament, he could solidify his, like, running as a Wrestler of the Year candidate this year. Definitely. Yeah, I agree with you 100% there. So let's talk about uh, the ROH representative, Jeff Cobb, Mr. Olympia himself. Yeah, Jeff Cobb. He's making his uh, G1 Climax debut this year. Cobb has been tearing it up on the indies uh, in the U.S. and overseas. The current PWG World Heavyweight Champion. Yeah, and um, he has a Ring of Honor World title shot this coming up Friday at the best in the world pay-per-view against Matt Taven. So Cobb doing kind of big things all over the place here, and he's just been having a great in-ring year um, all over the place, and um, it's going to be great to see him here in the G1. Yeah, so Jeff Cobb is kind of an anomaly and an interesting take because he is a representative from Ring of Honor, and like you mentioned, all his accolades. Um, he won the Never Openweight title this year. He had a rivalry with Goto. He tore the house down against Will Ospreay during the uh, G1 Supercard. G1 yeah. Supercard in New York. We were there in the opening match. But the real question is, how good is Jeff Cobb going to do in this tournament? Now, from a match standpoint, I think he'll do pretty good. From a point standpoint, I don't think he's. I think he's going to be low man. One of the low men on the. Uh, yeah, pole. yeah. I think he's going to be one of those low guys. I think he's going to be there down there with like Goto and Yano in that six point range. You know, get three wins. He might. He might beat. You know, Ishii to set up a never title match down the line. But I don't see him getting many other wins. Well, the interesting interesting thing is, best in the world is coming up this uh, Friday night. Yeah. Like you mentioned, he has an ROH world title match. Because looking at this field of competitors, there's no way that I could see Jeff Cobb doing super well. I think eight points is like a max for him. Maybe ten if I was being really generous. And the only reason I say that is if ROH was like, hey, look, this is a guy we really want to protect and do well. They might give him ten points just because the ROH relationship. Plus... Obviously, they see a lot in Jeff Cobb. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in this tournament. They really have pushed him over the past few years, the never title reign being a, uh, a part of that. But that being the case, I don't think that he'll win the title at best in the world because there's no way he's going into the G1 with the ROH title and eating pinfalls, and there's no way he's winning this block. Yeah. So I think it's a given that he's going to lose the title in some sort of screwy fashion to Matt Taven. And it kind of makes me question, like, man, why would you put him in that situation to be, like, in a no-win situation going into the G1? Um, but there are a lot of compelling matchups that I'm excited about for Jeff Cobb. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's the whole rivalry, rivalry like you mentioned, with Hiroki Goto that they've been having. I think that's going to be a match to look out for. I think the match with Ishii is going to be a match to look out for. Uh, the match with Shingo, they had a match in PWG, right? 
uh, what was the the Bola finals? It, it was, was the Bola finals. Threat. It was a triple threat between them and Bandito, which was supposed to be really good. I never saw it. I actually did. I've been watching some of Jeff Cobb's matches uh, recently. Uh, I watched the match with him and Trevor Lee, the match with him and Bandito, which just dropped from back in March. Um, I'm waiting for the Jonathan Gresham match to drop. I'll tell you what, Jeff Cobb, as great as he is, he's very inconsistent in most companies. Sometimes he's great, other times he's okay. The one place where he just always delivers, and I don't know why, ROH. Yeah, and Ring of Honor, the guy's a star. Like, every pay-per-view match, his TV matches, he's just been killing it, and it comes off like a big star in uh, Ring of Honor. Yeah, so I think that uh, him coming, like, this is the first real singles run he's had in New Japan, so I'm very excited to see what kind of accounting he gives of himself, and he's got the right guys to really, like, have a great showing you know when you're in that world tag league setting you're kind of hidden you know you can come in and do hot tag stuff do a couple big spots jeff cobb's a really impressive athletic guy but we're gonna find out what he's really made of in the g1 like there's no more compelling or grueling test than the g1 climax and this is gonna be a big test for jeff cobb i'm excited to see him here it's very exciting yeah um what's your most excited match for jeff cobb in this tournament uh, I think the the one match I'm looking forward to is I think I'm looking forward to the Ishii match. Same, I'm right there with you. Yeah, I think that's going to be a nice little strong style little Haas match, and I think that's going to set up a a never title match for the fall. I also wonder how he's going to deal with uh, Yano. <laughs> that will be very interesting. <laughs> uh, so let's move on. So we have our second uh, junior uh, representation in this tournament, uh, Shingo Takagi. The What's his the dragon? The dragon. Yeah, I almost called him the last dragon. I was like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> That's his uh, his finisher, right? The uh, last of the dragon. last of the dragons finisher. Yeah, yeah. The, the last dragons that movie from the eighties that I love. <laughs> Show enough. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Shingo, he's making his G one climax debut here. Like you mentioned, the second junior in this tournament, along with Will Osprey. You know, since coming into New Japan, you know, he went on a 96-match winning streak until he lost to Will Ospreay in the best of the Super Junior Finals. Um, you know, he's already been a uh, IWGP Junior Tag Team Champion with Bushi. And, you know, just had an incredible best of the Super Junior Tournament mowed down that A block until until he got down to Will Ospreay, which is definitely a match of the year contender. And now it looks like we're getting ready to transition this guy into the heavyweight division. Yeah, so, you know, Shingo Takagi is, was a mainstay and major star over in the Dragon Gate system. He made a huge transition over into New Japan Pro Wrestling. Started off the year going back to last year with a 96-match winning streak. Um, he's just been incredible this year. You know, some of his, like, former accolades, he's a four-time Open the Dream Gate champion, um, he also was the 2010 King of Gate uh, tournament winner, which is like their major, major tournament over in Dragon Gate. It is a single elimination tournament, but it's their version of the Grand Prix. So very similar in nature to uh, to this. He also was in the uh, All Japan Champions Carnival, um, not this past year, but last year. And he's done well in other tournaments like Bola. So Shingo's been in major tournaments like this in the past. But we're, you know, the same way how this past year in the best Super Juniors, we got a whole slew of first-time matches in New Japan with Shingo. We're getting a whole slew 
of first-time matches with Shingo in the heavyweight division, which is, like, just incredible, man. Just yeah, incredible. It's, yeah, it's going to be great. It's also going to be very interesting. You know, we saw him in the junior division pretty much destroy everybody and kind of mow through that division. How are they going to book him with the heavyweights? It's going to be very interesting. You know, I don't see him going on this run and having, you know, an eight match, you know, eight and oh, nine and oh, like he did in the the junior tournament. Uh, he's going to eat some losses in this tournament. I agree. I think that um, there's a possibility that Will Ospreay does what you're saying and he plays spoiler on the final night to say Tanahashi. If that were the case, I would see them booking if 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 your trajectory and you think Shingo and Will Ospreay is a, is a potential headliner for the Tokyo Dome on the first night, maybe you have Shingo do better in the in the B block than you have Will Ospreay do in the A block mm. to kind of set something up down the line for them. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Originally, I was thinking you, you give them the same point total. That can make so you they, could where they're like, hey, you know, we both did the same. You know, I, I still I still owe you one from that best of Super Junior Finals. Let's run it back at the Dome. Um, but I do, I kind of like your scenario a little bit better. That gives Shingo a little bit more kind of bragging rights. Like, hey, I did it better than you in the G1. I'm really better than you. You got lucky in the, the best of Super Junior Finals. Let's try it at the Dome. Well, it's hard for us to say Will Ospreay did, got lucky because he had so much more, uh, you know, match time in that Super Junior tournament. I know. I'm just saying, like, pro- <laughs> promo-wise, Shingo might say something like that, you know? I think Shingo's definitely going to take losses, but, man... What an opportunity for this guy to, like, make a name for himself in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He's already made a name for himself, but he's just going to elevate that even higher. Uh, you know, me and Jeremy, just a few weeks ago, we're at the halfway point of the year. We, we're like, we should start talking about where we're at with our award season. And Shingo's an easy Wrestler of the Year candidate already in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And most years, it's hard for us to, like, really justify you know, not not that we're discriminatory, but it's hard to justify juniors being in that conversation. That's kind of why we have like a junior wrestler of the year and then a wrestler of the year, because many times like it's like the juniors do great, but they're in this other segregated thing. But like Shingo and Will have both like elevated themselves to a level. It's right. like you can't talk about wrestler of the year without talking about these two guys, and he has quite an opportunity in front of him. Right, and like you mentioned, you know, in previous years, you know, the juniors it seemed like you know. During best of super junior time was like the one point of the year when the focus was on them, and then the other times of the year they were kind of you know slipped and undercards and kind of forgotten. But you know the past couple of years have been slowly kind of changing that, and then with guys like Osprey and Shingo um, pushing the envelope this year, like you mentioned, you you can't mention wrestler of the year without talking about Shingo and Osprey, and you can't talk about match of the year to this point without mentioning their battle at the best of the Super Junior Finals. I really don't know what I'm going to predict when it comes to Shingo. I feel very similar about him the same way I do about Will. They're anomalies. I don't know if he's going to do super, super well or if he's going to be in that mid-range. I don't see him at the bottom. I don't see him at the bottom. Right now, I think I'm seeing him in the 10-point range. Could Shingo be your dark horse pick to win B block? Uh, maybe I don't know. I, I really don't see it. I, I guess I would probably say no. Yeah. For the simple fact that Shingo, 
because again, I think whoever's winning the B block is going to face the champion, and I don't see any way Shingo does that. Right. Unless they throw some sort of crazy like monkey wrench in our ideas, and the B block finals really isn't winning it. But on the final night, he is facing. Uh, let's see, Hiroki Goto, and that doesn't really inspire me to think that he's going to be winning the tournament. To be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. I think like ten point range is probably right where Shingo will be, yeah, and that's a winning record, five and four. Yeah, uh, it's it's a good you know that's ten a good po- record. Ten points is very you know um, it's a good good point total to get in your first tournament. Shingo's the only guy aside from Ishii that I well I don't want to discount Naito. Uh, the thing is, it's like I think Shingo will be up there with like Naito and and Ishii as like performer of the tournament. Yeah. Although I really find it hard, I don't think anybody can outperform Ishii. Like I just don't. <laughs> if there's one person, it, it's probably Shingo. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Um, obviously, we've talked about how how excited we are for the uh, Ishii and Takagi match. We've talked about the uh, Naito Takagi match. Is there anything else that we're really looking forward to when it comes to Shingo in this tournament? I mean, I think Shingo and Goto could be a banger. What, do you, what about Shingo and John Moxley? That's going to be very interesting. Like, dude, they put John Moxley in, like, the strong style, like, Walk, lock. Yeah. Like, this guy's got to go through Cobb, Ishii, Goto, and Shingo. Like, holy crap. <laughs> like, holy crap. You're, you're out of your comfort zone, pal. Yeah. Um, super excited. So, we got two last competitors before we finish this up. Let's talk about uh, the Lord Emperor, Taichi. Making his G1 debut. Yes, Tai Chi making his G1 Climax debut. There was a lot of clamoring and uh, you know a lot of petitions last year for Tai Chi being in the tournament. He wasn't, uh, but this year he made it in. You know he had the uh, those never open weight title wins, and you know he has kind of elevated himself and stepped it up as far as in ring, especially with his matches against Ishii. And I definitely feel like he kind of deserves to be. In the tournament this year. Yes, Taichi has really improved us with his work rate and his match structure and his um, willingness to trade with guys when it comes to matches. Um, I'm always back and forth with Taichi because when he first came to the heavyweight ranks, I was like, man, he's having great matches. And at the time, you were like, eh, I don't know. And then like at the end of the year last year, it seemed like you were coming around on him. And I was getting tired of like getting disappointed by how crappy a lot of his <laughs> matches were. And I think now we've both kind of evened out where we're like, Taichi's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and we both kind of come around to that fact. But at the same time, I don't know how well he's doing in this tournament. He's, yeah. He's like the one – he is the one Suzuki Goon representative in B-Block. And I got to figure in my mind, I think he does better than Archer. But then again, they're in totally separate blocks and someone's got to take pinfalls. Yeah, I, I think Tai Chi is the pinfall guy in this block. You know, right now I'm seeing Tai Chi for like six points in this thing, man. Like three and three and six. I think six would probably be his ceiling. Uh, I could see him at four points. Wow. I mean, I could. But I also could see. I think Tai Chi is going to be a spoiler. Yeah, I, I could see him. You know, getting his win back on Ishii to set up a a, a never rematch in the fall. Yeah, I think Taichi's definitely an opportunist, and I think that he obviously recognizes that like a lot of the never titles a title that he's had before, and he really that's a goal of his. But also the IC belt and the US belt are two titles that he's never held, and realistically, he probably isn't going to win the whole tournament. But 
he if he comes into this tournament and he has the kind of performances he's had over the past few matches, I'll be really pleasantly surprised and be happy to see Taichi in this tournament. Um, I did just recently watch the Taka Taichi Mania match with him and uh, Taguchi, and God, it was not good. Mm. <laughs> like I wanted it to be good, and it was not. <laughs> but um, he's been doing a lot of like Kawada influenced stuff lately, which I've at first I didn't like, but now I'm kind of coming around on it. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like someone's doing more strong style based offense, but. Dude, I feel bad for everybody that's in this tournament that's not named Goto or in the B block that's not named Cobb, Goto, Ishii, and Takagi because they got to fight all those guys and it's like God, like everyone's gonna die. Like you know, they you remember like when Killer Elite Squad would talk about like this isn't the tag league, this is a Killer League. Yeah, everybody is gonna die. That's the B block. Everybody's <laughs> gonna die. Like this is the Killer Block. Like people are gonna die, dude. Like yeah. it's crazy. But um, I think Taichi being around six points, eight points at the very, very max. Yeah. But I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's going to do like six points, and I see him trying to upset either like an Ishii, a John Moxley, or possibly... Naito. I mean, there's a built-in Naito. story there with their rivalry that they've kind of had going, and Naito's trying to push Taichu to the, to the next level. Um, they could pull up an upset victory there. Oh, my God. Maybe you get an IC tile defense in the fall with Naito and Taichi. Well, if Naito wins the block, he's got to defend his belt or defend his opportunity. So yeah. is he going to be defending his belt and his opportunity? I guess so. Could we be seeing Taichi and Naito? That sounds – it could happen, but it also seems, sounds like at King of Pro Wrestling, like that's too big a slot. Well, maybe Destruction. That, that'd be quite an elevation for a guy like Taichi. Uh, destruction could work. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think he's gonna try to upset some of these top guys. But um and uh if Taichi does the bullcrap he normally does though, I'm gonna this is do or die for him. Like I could literally write him off and just be like, I don't care like I'm at the point where like if he does well, I'm gonna be like, Okay, I'm in on Taichi. If he has bad matches, then I'm like, Look, I know he has bad matches sometimes, but he has really good matches. But if he has really bad matches all tournament like he could um, I'll write him off and be like, I don't care if he has a good performance here or there. This guy puts in bullcrap night after night, and like, I'm 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 on the fence of Taichi right now. Fingers crossed for you know 19 nights of Miho Abe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're getting that, sir. Well, maybe hopefully for the, the tournament matches. Let's hope for you know for nine 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 nights of Miho Abe. Last but not least. The most talked about name in the world of professional wrestling right now, John Moxley, the Death Rider. Yes, Death Rider John Moxley, the current IWGP United States Champion, making his G1 Climax debut as well. We heard on the Talk is Jericho podcast that Moxley wanted to get out of his comfort zone. Well, there's no better way to get out your comfort zone than being in the G1 Climax. Yeah, man, so we've seen him in two matches in New Japan. He had that classic match with uh, Juice Robinson. Then he had a really good uh, Young Lion uh, showcase opening match with Shota Umino, who will be his tag partner throughout the rest of the tournament. Um, and then he shocked everybody by announcing himself as a participant in the G1, uh, his first tournament ever in New Japan. And... Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure he's been in tournaments like in on the indies, probably like in Cage of Death, things like that, or uh, Tournament of Death, like CZW. Yeah. But um, on the main level, I don't think he, like, 
WWE doesn't really do King of the Ring or, or anything like that anymore. Yeah. So we don't have too much to really compare this to when it comes to I think the, Major League. The, the, the last tournament that I can remember him in, there was that WWE title tournament where the belt was vacant and the, it ended up being like him and Reigns in the finals. At Survivor Series? Yeah. Uh, that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, yeah, this is going to be very interesting to see um, how Moxley does here. We have a question here from... Reddit user Black Saber Jr. He says, "How strongly would you book Moxley in the G1? The schedule looks like they might keep him alive until the final night against Juice, but does that make sense considering the names in his block and his AEW status?" Yeah, it makes sense because I think he signed to like a, a semi-long-term deal with the company. Right, and you know we did hear, you know, Tony Khan talk about. Guys will be allowed to do international bookings. They are not planning on doing a house show um, schedule model. They're just going to do TV. So that got that gives guys opening in their schedules to do more international bookings. Well, it did sound like I heard him on the Stone Cold podcast, Tony Khan, and he mentioned that they might not have a traditional house show model, but they might have some. Right, shows. They'll, they'll, they'll might have like. One or two. It's not going to be the WWE schedule where they're going five, six nights um, a yeah. week. He did say they didn't want to overwork people, but he did say that they might have like shows throughout the year that are not part of TV tapings, you know, right. or, or pay per view. Right. So I think similar to like Fighter Fest and similar to like Fight for the Fallen. Right. Um, but with that being said, you know, John Moxley. One really interesting fact: not only is he obviously like a very big star and obviously uh he's what, what's it called like a grand slam champion from wwe mm-hmm. john moxley is only the second ever former wwe champion to ever enter the g1 climax mm-hmm. you know who the first one was it's, uh, rick flair it is rick flair Woo! ding 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 <laughs> Uh, Ric Flair entered the 1995 tournament, which he had some pretty good matches with, like, Muto and Hashimoto, that sort of thing. But John Moxley is only the second-ever former WWE champion. To- That's very interesting. There are other WWE champions that have been in the tournament, but they were not former. They ended up winning the, you know, like, Stone Cold, for instance. But uh, John Moxley is the only second former WWE champion to be in this tournament. Very interesting. But this guy's on fire right now. He's the talk of the wrestling world. Big matches coming up in the future with... Joey Janela, Kenny Omega, Pentagon Jr., uh, you know, probably a Chris Jericho match down the line. So there's a lot going on with John Moxley, but I got to tell you, as much as I'm excited for the AEW stuff, and I, I do really enjoy what AEW is doing right now, I'm more excited for John Moxley in this G1. Like, that's the most compelling yeah, thing he's doing dude, right now. The Death Rider stuff has been great. That match with Juice was so bloody and violent and awesome. I, I love that match, and I love the, the pairing of him and Umino, him. Know, put an Umino under his wing. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward. And like you mentioned, he's in the in the, in the strong style block. He's in the Carl Gotch strong style block. He he's leaving uh, Seth Rollins pro wrestling. He's gonna get this strong style pro wrestling. Why are you going to Seth Rollins pro wrestling? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know it's it's that over there in, in New York. That's Seth Rollins pro wrestling. He he's gonna experience Ishii's pro wrestling, Shingo's pro wrestling. Naito's pro wrestling, so uh, it's, he's he's in a tough block, but I do think he's he's going to be booked strongly. I think he's going to be one of the guys in contention to possibly win the block. I could see him finishing with twelve um, points, but you know maybe losing 
Tua Naito or Jay White, who will also have 12, which um, prevents him from winning the block. Yeah, I don't think he's winning the block based on the reasons that we talked about earlier. But with that being said, there's no way John Moxley isn't doing very well in this tournament. He's going to do very well, especially with just his star power and that sort of thing. I also think that the fact that he has this hardcore background from CZW, he's going to bring that like unpredictable element that like that violence that like Suzuki used to bring to the tournament. Maybe John Moxley kind of fits that bill, you know. And in order for him to kind of like stand up to some of these strong style powerhouses that he's going to be slayed against, he's going to have to get rough and get down and dirty. Um, you know, I don't know what to expect from John Moxley when it comes to this tournament. Like. We know he was the Iron Man of WWE at one point, where he was wrestling more dates than anybody else. So he can definitely like keep up with a tough, rigorous schedule. But like, the G one's a different beast and a different animal. When you're having great match after great match, and you're getting, a, and he's in a lot of like semi-main events and main events where he's getting a lot of time. So he's really gonna have to show something in this tournament. Um, there is still a learning curve. So far, he's knocked it out of the park, but. He's up against a lot of new opponents with a language barrier in new places that might not be as familiar with him along the tour. So it's going to be interesting to see how people take to John Moxley. So far, he's gotten nothing but over everywhere yeah. he's been. Yeah. But uh, real interesting stuff from John. Yeah. You know, one thing I'm worried about, though, um, you know, this coming up Saturday is Fighter Fest. You know, we'll be there live along with Rich Latta. Moxley's facing Joey Janela. These guys, both of them, we know their their history. They're going to try and kill each other. I'm just hoping he doesn't walk in this tournament with injury. I haven't been keeping up with the AEW stuff, but I know that Joey Janela did some sort of uh, promo where he was in a coffin. Right. And like what he what he's basically saying he's willing to die in the ring. Yeah. So real, this was something that was real interesting. A few weeks ago, there was a tweet from Renee Young, and she tweeted out, have you ever seen Samoa Joe versus uh, Necro Butcher? And then she put... JM. Know, JM. And I thought that this was just a funny tweet, like really funny. I was like, that would be like such a John Moxley thing to do. Be like, hey, Renee, you ever seen Necro Butcher versus <laughs> Samoa Joe? Like, because, of course, it's a classic match. And something like... On these other podcasts, he was talking about like he was reinvigorating his love for wrestling and watching all these different types of wrestling, like Big Japan and stuff like that. Someone posed, someone online, I don't know who, but someone online I was reading, they posed a theory that maybe that she was foreshadowing the level of violence that his future match with hypothetically Joey Janela might be. Like, for instance, the conversation went like, well, how crazy is this match with Joey going to be? Have you ever seen Necro Butcher versus Mojo? And maybe that was his way of like preparing her for the level of violence that she might be viewing when it comes to this match. And when someone posed that theory, I was like, ooh, that makes way more sense than what I thought. I thought it was just like a funny thing like, hey, Renee, you ever watch this? But like, of course, Renee's never watched it. So maybe he was like, oh, to give you an idea what we might be doing, have you ever seen what might be the most violent match in the his like in the Indies on North American soil? Uh, that gives me like cause for concern. Yeah. So I'm just hoping you know you know we'll be there live. I hope it's a great match, but I hope he walks out of that thing alive. <laughs> How crazy would it be if John Moxley got injured before the G1 and couldn't compete? Dude, that would be crazy. Especially 
you know, the news that we got breaking at the end of last week's show, and we didn't really get to go into it. In- I was so pissed last week, and it was unfounded. Let's just say that. <laughs> like, I was, like, really pissed at, like, AEW, but it was, like, a knee-jerk reaction. Like, we were on the air, and I had no time to, like, process what was happening. All I all I could really process was, John Moxley can't compete. AEW fucked him. Damn it. Like, that's <laughs> what I felt like. But then once, like, after the show had dropped, you know what the funny thing is? Did you listen to last week's episode? Yeah. Did you listen to the part earlier in the episode where I was like, well, what if he can't compete in the opening because of AEW, because of his, like, I actually, like, forgot that I even said that. Like, I had actually, earlier in the episode, posed that theory. Yeah. But then when you were like, breaking news, he can't compete, I was like, fuck! (laughs) I was like, fuck Tony Khan! (laughs) Fuck the Young Bucks! Like, I was just pissed for no reason at all. Uh, but yeah, so you know, New Japan put out a press release on njpw1972.com. Yeah, getting ahead of the story, saying you know, John Moxley will not be able to compete on the first night of the G1 Climax in Dallas. He won't be at the press conference the day before in Arlington. Um, he will kind of pick things up um, on the the first Tokyo night and B Block. Okay, so this makes a lot of sense, and for people who might have been mad, let's go, go through a couple things. New Japan never uh, announced him. Announced him for the shows. We were speculating last week. Well, why wouldn't they spe- You know, announce him? I kind of was thinking John Moxley was just this, this autonomous like figure who could do whatever he wanted. But then when I when people started being like, well, he's got to deal with AEW, and they're probably not going to let their talent show up on other television shows in the U.S. and this is going to be broadcast on Axis. It makes all the sense in the world. It's probably the other reason why we, the other reason why we won't see like. Chris Jericho, or even hypothetically, if he shows up at some point, Kenny Omega, we're not going to see them on U.S. shows for New Japan because they work for AEW. We will see them on New Japan World and you know that sort of thing. But once that kind of came to light, I was like, oh, it makes a lot of sense. Like because working for New Japan in the states is totally different than working internationally. Mm-hmm. Now they're competing, right? So that's why John Moxley is not going to be working the G1 opening dates and that sort of thing. It was funny though how New Japan was like he also won't be working he also won't show up for the press conference like kind of throwing like a little dig yeah in at AEW um, but yeah he was never like advertised for it so it's not that big of a like New Japan could have literally not said anything because obviously their ticket sales are not doing great for the G1 climax in Dallas they could have put the assumption out not say anything it's how people assume. Oh, Mox will be on the undercard and tagging with Shota, and then you know, last minute day of. Oh yeah, Mox is not gonna. By the way, Mox is not gonna be here. That's an integrity. We got your money, kid. <laughs> That's an integrity move, I would say, from the company to like get ahead of the story and be like, hey, look, because of because of this situation, this guy's not gonna be here, but he will be on the rest of the tour. Everyone else would have probably assumed John Moxley was going to work the opening because he was in the B block and B block wrestlers work tag matches on the undercard, and that's what we thought we were getting. I'm disappointed. But it makes a lot of sense given the current like climate of pro wrestling. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, before we move on, last thing, John Moxley, um, most into- anticipated match for him in the tournament. Um, I think I'm going with uh, Tomohiro Ishii. Whew. That's a really, 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 really good one. Um, I think I'm gonna pretty much agree with you. But if I had to take a second choice for Moxley, again, it's the I already said before, but it's the Naito match. 
Although I gotta tell you, Moxley and Jay White is intriguing to me. Yeah. Because those are the two biggest stars in the B block that he's facing as far as like their placement in the big four of New Japan. So how Moxley does against Naito and Jay White, especially since Naito and Jay White will be facing each other on the final night, there's a lot of tournament implications between those th- those two Three, matches. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be a good one. Okay, before we finish everything and answer questions, one last question for you. Yeah. How are you booking the finals of the A block and the B block, and how are you booking the whole tournament? Just like a quick synopsis. So as of right now, I am booking... Tanahashi to win the A block. I am booking Tetsuya Naito to win the B block. Having your final of uh, Tanahashi and Naito. Naito going over Tanahashi, going to Wrestle Kingdom 14 to challenge Okada. Title for title. Yeah. Okay. I've got Naito finishing the block against Jay White, winning and going on to the finals and winning the whole tournament. I am really torn between Tanahashi. And Osprey and Kenta, as well as who's the fourth guy? Abushi. Abushi. Right now, I'm gonna go with Abushi. I could be wrong on this, but I think that that's the match that people maybe might want to see the most, and also they've done several times. So, and I mean, it's after the whole head bump controversy, people, it's it, it's gonna be a very controversial match if they do it again. It's gonna bring a lot of buzz. But I could. That, that's why the A block is so hard. I could see Kenta or Ibushi or Tanahashi or Will Ospreay winning yeah, that That's A-block. why I said right now I'm going Tanahashi. By the time you know I fill out my official bracket, I, I might go Ibushi. Heck, I might be convinced to go Kenta. I don't know. But I'm not convinced that anybody else but Naito is winning the B-block. Yeah, same here. And I'm not convinced that anybody's beating Naito. Naito's winning this whole tournament. That's the final verdict. That's my final verdict. Like I'm done. That's it. Yeah. So that's our that's our preview for the G1 climax. I know we got questions. Yeah. So a question from our brother in Scotland, Ricky. The, the... Ooh, I love getting questions from Ricky. So he has also a... guys, if you don't listen to the Ricky and Clive wrestling show, listen to that show. There's some shows on our network. All of them are great, but like I love listening to Ricky and Clive. Like this past week when they like dropped a day late, I was like, <gasps> what's going on? But, like, Ricky and Clive, I think next week they're both going to be back because the Ramadan season's over. Yeah, Ricky made his comeback last week. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was great having Ricky back on air after the whole uh, after his Ramadan we also had, break. Uh, Rance Morris back on, on yeah. Social Suplex. Ray Cash. Ray Cash. I was actually glad to, like, listen to that show. It was, like, a really positive show. It was really good. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Ricky, I listened to your show, <laughs> even though you're probably not listening to mine. <laughs> I mean, believe it or not, Ricky listens. Ricky uh, listens. Yeah. Um, so he asks. I'm also, I'm better looking than Ricky. Just gonna throw that out there. Ugh, that's a that's a tough one, man. Uh, Yo, why are you such a Ricky Mark? Oh my I, God, dude, have you seen that man, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Look at that man's Facebook. Look at his suits. That man looks like he's a member of the Four Horsemen. Bro, I was wearing a suit this past weekend. I, I was fresh to death. We might have to put a poll up for the ladies who they think the best looking man is, Ricky or the young boy. All right, well, give me like four months to train, like I'm Kenny Omega for the minion. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Ricky asks a very difficult question. He says, "Which G one match excites you the most this year?" Oh crap! I don't know. I really don't know. That's that's so difficult because literally, we, I mean, the last you know two hours or so, we've talked about 
all these different matches and these blocks that we're anticipating and that we're most excited for. It's very hard. To let's, let's just let's make it simple for ourselves. Pick a match from the A block and pitch, pick a match from the B block. Okay. And we'll pick different matches. Okay. Easy. Okay. For the actually, I'll let you go first. You pick, <laughs> you, pick, you pick your A block match first. Okay. For the A block match, the match I'm most excited for is gonna be Ibushi and uh, Okada. Okay. I'm gonna go with Ibushi and Osprey. Perfect. Uh, B block. Um, you go first. I'm gonna go with. Ishii and Shingo. Okay. And then I will go with um, Naito and John Moxley. Nice. Um, you know, real quickly, you know, the undercards are out for the shows. You know, the full schedule um, of all those guys on the undercards have been out. You can check those out on NJPW1972.com. But one very interesting undercard match is happening on that opening night in Dallas. The very first match, and we got a question about it from Reddit user Undoubtedly Dean. He says, do you think my boys, Sho and Yo, have a shot at beating G.O.D. in Dallas? I really, really hope so. The rest... Loving the show as always, guys. Wait, it's Rapungi 3K against Sho and Yo? Yes, the first night. Or against G.O.D. First match in Dallas, Rapungi 3K versus G.O.D. Oh, God, I hope they beat him. <laughs> Bro, it's, this, this, could, this could be it. We've been clamoring for for the last couple of years now. The beginning of the end of the junior tag division. That would be incredible, right? Yes. What a great way to kick the show off. A uh, 3K on, on Tamatanga or Tangaloa and Rapungi 3K winning. That match might be really good. Really, really good. Yeah. And then, and then eventually you get the belt, the junior belt back on Rapungi 3K and you do a unification match. Well, you know what? Uh, Rapungi 3K have beaten heavyweights in their tag matches before, so I wouldn't be surprised if they get the win here. Yeah, there was that. Remember that uh, that that six man Rapungi 3K? They beat that uh, Suzuki Gun team. It was like Iska, they've done it a few times. Yeah, yeah. Iska Archer and I think Day Boy. Yeah. So yeah, that's real interesting. So I mean, that's just more wishful thinking. If nothing else. At least to create new challengers, even if they don't unify the divisions, just to be able to say, hey, we got the best tag teams from the junior division. Let's bring them up to heavyweight and give them a go. That's a cool idea. I like it. Yeah. Uh, question from Howard Schilling. Are you going to be doing a prediction contest? Yes. Yes. So we will be doing our G1 Climax 29 prediction contest. Why hasn't it come out so far, Jeremy? Tell the people why. Um, so like I mentioned earlier in the show, you know, I was just really cautious about this um, Saber and Yoshihashi match. Uh, you know, we're recording, like I mentioned, this is Monday night. This will drop Tuesday morning. So as you're downloading this, that match will probably will be happening I better be safe than sorry. I mean, I'm 99.9% sure that Saber is winning, but just to save myself the headache of in case I'm upset, um, I'm gonna wait to, to drop that contest link until that match is completed and then we have a definitive winner and person in the G1 climax. But yeah, really excited the contest, guys. Um, we got a very interesting um, prize for you guys. Um, shout out to um, William Johnson in our Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. He has donated a prize um, uh, for the grand prize winner, a Neo Geo Mini Japanese Edition 
new in the box. So you will get that along with a Keeping It Strong style t-shirt from Pro Wrestling Tees. Can I call an audible on the show right now? Yeah. Remember the thing we talked about doing as an addition to the prize? Mm-hmm. I want to still do that. Oh, the... Can I make that announcement? Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. So this is the third prize. You will win a third prize. In addition to winning the Neo Geo Japanese edition, as well as a Keeping It Strong style shirt, the winner of the G1 Pick'em will get an opportunity to come on to this show and be a guest uh, what, what guest host. A guest host. The, the third man. The third man. You get to be the Hulk Hogan to our Scott Hall and Kevin <laughs> Nash. And you get to be on this show any episode you want. So if you want to come on and call Road to Destruction Tour with us, or if you want to come on If and you want to watch that World Tag League with us. World Tag League the, with the, us. You want to watch the Super Junior Tag League. <laughs> and, and you know what? We'll, we'll do the show straight. If you want to get drunk with us on the air, and we can do that. If you want to call Wrestle Kingdom, that's our biggest sh- one of our biggest shows of the year, which we are hoping like draws big. You guys can do that. Whatever you want to do, you get to come on the air. You get to be part of the crew, and it's good for one calendar year. So if you want to come on next year and do the G1 Prediction Contest show with us, you can do that too. So that's going to be the big – those are the three big prizes. Keeping a strong style shirt. Oh, New rule, though. Here's the one big new rule. We will no longer be paying for shipping for the T-shirts for for anybody at all. Uh, if you win, we will pay for your shirt. You pay for the shipping because, man, we got people every year. It seems like all year long we got people like winning. We have a, we have listeners all over the world. Yeah, it's we do. Crazy, and um, y'all people y'all people overseas keep winning these contests, <laughs> and it's costing us a lot of money. <laughs> costs a lot so from now on if you win you're paying for the shipping whether you're in tampa or whether you're in the tokyo dome it doesn't matter you're paying for the we're not paying for shipping anymore but we will pay for the shirt you get the prize you get to come on this show that i think that's the best prize we've ever had yeah this is a good little trio of prizes right here yeah this is like a big yeah this is a big deal so uh we look forward to you guys and uh entering into the tournament we will be um, uploading. When are we going to upload the uh, actual Pick'em contest? Tomorrow? Uh, yeah, I'll make it live sometime tomorrow. I have to do one through one more look, see, uh, make sure everything looks right, and making sure we have a, a definitive winner between Saber and Yoshihashi. So look for it sometime, um, probably tomorrow night, late tomorrow night. Um, look out for it. It'll be posted on the Reddit, on our Twitter, in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. And that will be live until the G1 Climax actually begins. So we're going to have about two weeks where you guys can get your picks in. And I have attached um, a G1 calculator that, um, you know, our friends at Voices of Wrestling use um, and created that will help you, you know, calculate your points night by night. So you can use that as your cheat sheet. But all official entries must come through that Google form that will be going out to be entered into this contest. Nice. Um, And before we jump into the news real quick, I just want to give my recommended match of the week since it's G1 related. Uh, my recommended match for you guys to watch this week is the phenomenal AJ Styles taking on the king of pro wrestling, Minoru Suzuki. And this was from the G1 Climax in 2014. 
Uh, I love that match. Incredible match. I watched this match, I believe, like, I think it was last weekend I watched this match for the first time. Uh, you know, I, I really haven't seen much of AJ in New Japan. I kind of came in towards um, the end of his run there. Uh, so I was kind of, you know, trying to catch up with some of his great matches. Um, so, yeah, from G1 Climax 2014, of course, it's on New Japan World. Uh, just look up. You can type in AJ Styles or Suzuki, however you want to do it. But, yeah, Suzuki versus Styles. You know, you have AJ, you know, leader of the Bull Club, top heel Gaijin, going against Minoru Suzuki, maniac, wild man, murderer. Uh, so very interesting dynamics. You have Bull Club versus Suzuki Gun. You have the, the, the shenanigans, but it still ends up being a great matchup. What did, what did you like most about that match? I mean, I, I love the dynamics of having two heels in there, but essentially... You know, Suzuki just being the sadist that he is kind of forces AJ to be the baby face. To become face. a baby face even though and, he's the top heel. Yes. And then just the, the limb work Suzuki was doing Bro, in there. On his hand. Yes. The hand work is incredible. And like, just, you know, for, AJ's a phenomenal seller. I mean, no pun intended. He's, you know, great at what he does. And so um, Suzuki just forcing AJ to sell and kind of fight from underneath um, was, was just great to see. Dave Meltzer went four and three quarters on it, but the rest of the wrestling world felt like it was incredible because that was the Wrestling Observer Match of the Year in 2014. I love that match. I think that's a great wrestling uh, prediction or uh, uh, recommendation. I do want to know, by the way, for everybody that's listening, how many of you listened or watched Willie uh, Willie Williams versus uh, Antonio Inoki? Those of you who watched these uh, uh, recommended matches of the week, Hit us up. Hit us up on, on the DMs. Hit us up on uh, Twitter. Let us know what you guys think of these matches. But um, you you would be remiss if you haven't seen AJ Styles versus Minoru Suzuki. How awesome does that match just sound on paper? Go ahead and watch that match. It's awesome. Yeah, so now it's time to jump into news. So let's talk about, real quick, let's talk about... Uh, I fucking like, lit up Twitter, or, uh, Reddit this week. Let's yeah, talk about that. yeah, and the you got it featured in the the controversial tab in the. It uh, figures the one thing I ever post gets <laughs> put in the controversial. In the uh, Reddit, uh, the New Japan Reddit, bro, it's got like sixty comments and zero likes. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's the whole Russell Kingdom fourteen ticket controversy. Okay, who so who is the guy that wrote that column? By the way. Uh, I believe it was Todd Todd Martin from uh, PW Torch. Okay, so so give you guys a quick rundown. There was a uh, article that was written in the PW Torch. There was a news that came out basically regarding um, a controversy with the Wrestle Kingdom 14 ticket uh, lottery, uh, specifically related to the New Japan Fan Club. So there was a bunch of um, if you're unfamiliar, what basically happens over in Japan especially with New Japan Pro Wrestling, is that if you want to get in on the pre-sale for, like, floor seats and for, like, the, the premium seats when it comes to uh, Wrestle Kingdom and other various events, there's a lottery that's held, and in order to be entered into that lottery, you have to have a membership with uh, the New Japan Fan Club. The New Japan Fan Club is relegated to people that live in Japan specifically. So you actually have to have a uh, Japanese address and prove that you're from Japan in order to be entered into the lottery. There was a service called Baisumo, which would, um, in the past, what Baisumo would do, they, they weren't scalpers specifically. They were like a third party, essentially. What they would do for people that were overseas that wanted to buy tickets to Japanese, New Japan and you know Japanese pro wrestling events 
you would basically pay them a $20 fee. They would go down to like 7-Eleven or Lawson's. Lawson's, yeah. And they would go buy the tickets for you because it's very hard to get tickets to a lot of these New Japan events, honestly. Um, the, the system is a little antiquated. It's very hard to get tickets. So what they'd do is they'd go down, buy the tickets. You pay them an additional fee. They mail you the tickets. Over the past years, though, as new, as um, Wrestle Kingdom has become a much more touristed event and, you know, people really want to buy tickets for them, like like the anticipation and interest has grown, people have wanted to enter and be part of the New Japan Fan Club because they get the best tickets, especially on the floor seats. So what people have done is they've gone through buy sumo and other third-party fences is another word for it, or third-party uh, companies, and they've actually paid... <clears throat> to be able to have New Japan fan club memberships. And then those third parties have gone through New Japan to set up the third party memberships. They've they've basically, it, in a way it is fraud, but not fraud in a way it's like, it's not, like people throw the term fraud around. It's not like defrauding investors, you know, when you're on a board of directors for a company, but it's more like they would set up uh, Japanese addresses, like PO boxes, things like that. And then, set up New Japan fan club memberships for people overseas who want to be part of this sort of thing. Which, by the way, it is kind of, like, I don't want to say messed up, but, like, there's a lot of people overseas that want to be involved in these fan clubs and memberships, but they can't because they don't live in Japan. Right. Um, we obviously know Esteban, who is the... Um, leader of the unofficial North American New Japan fan club. Yeah, and he's been doing, you know, he's put in a lot of his own money and a lot of, you know, hours and effort in trying to with establish years and time. Yeah, he's a guy he's at he he meets with Harold May and Michael Craven and the New Japan offices and he's been working really hard to get in a turn his club into official have an official North American fan club that would have the same benefits as the Japanese fan club. Yeah, so um you know, in the past, people have been able to set up uh, fan club memberships so that they could get access to be able to attend these events. Well, this past year, they did the raffle, and there was a lot of people who had these fan club memberships, and then it turned out that they were not entered into the raffle. Um, only people that were proven to have Japanese, uh, you know, addresses were actually entered into the raffle, and it turned out that everybody who had gone through these third-party services were basically excluded. Now, initially, this article from Todd Martin came out, and there's a lot of knee-jerk reactions. Now, I actually did post the article to get people's opinions on it, and I had my own opinions, but let me be clear. I didn't write the article, and I didn't agree with every single point that this individual made in the article or even the uh, sensational um, style of his, uh, his title. His title. But I thought a lot of the information was pertinent and that people should talk about it and report about it. And I didn't see anyone else like reporting about it on the um, the New Japan Reddit. But dude, like it lit a fire. And there was like these very definitive parties where people were like, this is wrong. New Japan's wrong. And then there's like other people who are like, you guys are bull crap. And like New Japan's right. And like I was more in the middle where I was like, I don't think New Japan held or handled the situation correctly, but I do see the other side where I think that they probably were in the right in some ways. So, like, some of the issue is this. There was a new law that was passed very recently that basically outlawed a lot of, like, scalpers, and it changed the parameters for what a scalper even was. 
and some of these third-party companies like Baisumo and some of the other likes like them were changed so that now that under the definition of the Japanese law, and this just came into pa- like just got passed like last Friday, they're now not allowed to use utilize those services in Japan for and at all. The problem with it though is a lot of people paid money to these services, and these services did pay and set up, uh, you know, their their like they established these memberships. Like, like New Japan picked, accepted the money. New Japan accepted the payment, set up these New Japan fan club memberships, and then on the day that they ended up doing the raffle, there was no like press release like, "Hey, look, the laws changed. We can't utilize this." They it would appear that they pretty much just threw away or excluded anybody that went through these third-party services, but the payment was still received. Now, you can look at it one of two ways. You could be on the side where you're like, well, the company, this violates their terms of service, so they don't hold any responsibility whatsoever. Or you could hold the other side where it's like, well, the company accepted payment. They should have at least told people. They, they know what the deal is. Right. They're not stupid. They know that these people don't actually have Japanese um, memberships. Yeah. Memberships. Or addresses. Or, or addresses. Yeah. And they they should have, like, at the very least communicated to people that they, they're not going to get the goods that they paid for. Um, I'm kind of in the middle on this, to be honest with you. I think New Japan could have handled this situation better. But I also do see the side where it's like it does kind of violate their terms of service. Yeah, I'm, I'm right with you. I'm kind of in the middle, too. And, you know, I was kind of looking for people's opinion also on there. And, yeah, you know, I don't think kind of in the middle. It means, like, yeah, people did pay. And, then, you know, maybe they should have, you know, not accepted the payment and given a refund. And at the same time, like, as a person doing this, you know that it's not a part of their terms of service. And you know it probably at any time this could be It's shut- a risk. Right, it's, you're taking a risk. It's it's one of these loopholes that eventually everybody finds out about, and eventually it gets shut down. And so you're, you're taking that risk, and you're knowing what you're doing. So at the same time, it's like you, you kind of know the deal. What I don't like though is that okay, here's part of the problem: the fact that fans in the past have had to go through so many loopholes. Fans from from overseas have had to go through so many loopholes to try to acquire these good tickets shows you that there's a problem with the system. These people who are doing this are not people who are scummy people who want to fuck up New Japan. These are people who love New Japan so much that they're willing to go through like shady services to try and be a part of the company. They're diehards. And on the other end of things, you know what I mean? So like, I don't like the idea that there's fans out there that are like, Oh, well, screw you, fans, because you guys went through shady, like, you know, means. You went through Baisumo. You went through Baisumo. It's like, dude, they love New Japan. They're trying to be part of of Wrestle Kingdom. You know what I mean? Like, there's definitely that element there. On the other side of things, it's like, okay, so I think that there should be way way easier access to be able to attend, like, New Japan events for people overseas. I don't think that that's people. I don't think that's. Like people like us who live overseas asking for them to change everything or to bow down to U.S. consumerism or, or, or to make us preeminent. It's just like, dude, I should be able to like buy a ticket. You right. know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not asking a lot. But on the other end of things, I do understand that New Japan as a company is kind of subjugated to this antiquated uh, – system that they have in in place for how they buy tickets like for instance 
if you go to Lawson's and you buy your tickets through Lawson's, the section that's quartered off for you, you're going to be sitting with everyone else who bought tickets through Lawson. If you bought your ticket through 7-Eleven, same thing. Mm -hmm. So the way they set up the tickets, it's like everybody is sat in sections who bought their tickets through different providers. And that causes some issues for how they can – and also, not all of these services accept – U.S. payment or overseas payment. Some of them only accept Japanese, Japanese yeah. payments. That's why there's some issues here. So it's not inherently like a racist thing or a nationalistic thing. It's just an antiquated system that makes it difficult for people overseas to buy tickets. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it does sound like there are going to be some changes. A you know a press release came out on NJPW1972.com saying... In order to make it easier for our global fan base to view Wrestle Kingdom in person, a special global pre-sale will take place this year for the first time ever. Um, you can find out more here. They have a link. It says this special global pre-sale takes place after a separate pre-sale lottery for New Japan fan club members residing in Japan. We regret any inconvenience in the ticket buying process. Our global pre-sale will nevertheless offer the best tickets available to fans, including premium tickets, and will present the high standard of live experience they deserve. As NJPW continues to look worldwide, we hope to not just bring Japanese wrestling to the world, but also bring the world to Japanese pro wrestling. This has been a high priority since the introduction of English commentary to NJPW World, has expanded to improve English web and social media presence, and will continue to develop in the future. Again, we would like to sincerely thank all our fans in Japan and overseas for their passionate support of our promotion. Yeah, if you go on to uh, NJPW1972, there's a, a mailer set up that you, if you sign up for the mail list, then they will basically enter you into the drawing so that you can potentially buy those premium seats. Now, previously, last week I talked about how there's going to be a pre-sale for uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Those premium floor seats were not included. Let me be very clear. For anyone who has confusion about this, floor seats were not included in that uh, international option. That's why people were going through these third-party uh, ticket sellers to try and get floor seats. They heard the outcry. They changed everything. They're like, okay, now, uh, Chris Charlton actually tweeted about this. And he was like, now they've changed things. And now those premium floor seats will be included for uh, international buyers. But I think that that was something that was very telling was that prior to this article coming out, any I know a lot of people criticize the article for various reasons, but dude, honestly, let's be real. If that article hadn't come out and different people hadn't made a, a fuss about this on um, social media, chances are the company probably wouldn't have released floor seats for international sale. And I'm not trying to bury the company, but that's just the truth. Here on Keeping It Strong Style, we don't have a stake. We're not a PR company, so we're not trying to bury the company. We're also not trying to like stand for the company when they make mistakes. We're just trying to have like a very balanced take on what's taking place. And the reality is, is like it was really, really hard for international um, people to get tickets, good tickets to this event. All right, especially ever since. Uh, the last few years when interest has grown and ticket sales have grown, it's been harder right. and harder. It's the whole thing is like, you know, you're, you're trying to do a Western expansion and you're trying to increase interest over here in the United States. Like, well, we're interested in the Japanese product. Like, make it easier for us to come over there. With that being said, New Japan has done a ton for the Western audience. 
So I'm not going to sit here and say that they haven't done anything for us. They've oh yeah, I mean English commentary, um, the English on the NJBW uh, New Japan World, the English um, Twitter channel, the first, the the YouTube first night of the G1 Climax is here. Yeah, like I mean, they, they've done a lot to expand and make this way more accessible for us, which is excellent. But you know, there's also this thing where it's like the the the, the New Japan fan club is actually a fan club. People that are part of it get to attend like meet and greets. Uh, they get to meet up with one another. They get first chance at uh, different things. And I've seen people who, who've been like, well, international fans can't partake in part of that. This isn't a fan club for people who just want to go to Wrestle Kingdom. My retort to that would basically be this. Anybody who'd be willing to pay a premium year-round to buy a membership probably are not people who are just looking to attend Wrestle Kingdom. These people are probably diehards who want to be involved in all those things but don't live in Tokyo but want to be involved on some level. There's a lot of people who are going through Sumo to just be a part of that and they're getting all this. They might not be able to be there with you guys all the time but I bet you there's a good portion of those people who are going to other events other than just Wrestle Kingdom. They're probably right. going to other stuff. Dominion or... Exactly. And uh, they, they probably... King want, of Pro Wrestling, whatever, yeah. Yeah, and they want access to the same kind of like giveaways you guys are getting. They want access... They're diehards just like those people. Um, now, with that being the case, there are like different reasons why they haven't opened it up to international people, whether it be like, you know, issues with mail, issues with ticketing and that sort of thing. The, the news that New Japan is opening up an international fan club or that they're working on that is really awesome. Whether they're working with Esteban or not, I don't know. But that's really, really, really good news. Um, but sometimes it takes a controversy like this for a company to kind of like we know New Japan's a great company but they're slow on stuff like this they just are you know that they're, they're a Japanese company a lot of Japanese wrestling companies are slow to innovate and slow to like make moves sometimes it takes a controversy for them to like really like light that fire underneath them for them to make changes I think this is all positive stuff yeah and the fact that they've opened up a, uh, an international premium ticket sale—that's great. Yeah, sign, sign up for that if you want to get on that pre-sale. That's really, really good. And the fact that they're talking about having an international fan club, which I would love to be a part of. Oh, definitely, yeah. is awesome. Um, so yeah, I hope anybody that's listening to this show that me posting that doesn't mean that you're not going to listen to this show anymore. Um, you know, like I didn't write that article, but I thought that you know I'm not going to not share an article like that just because I love New Japan. Like, I'm not going to be... I did see some takes on that fan... On that... Um, thread? Thread. And I'm not bearing the fans, because I hate that, like, sort of, like, take. Be like, the fans suck, you know? Um, I'm never, like, against the fans. But I did f- had this overall feeling where it's like, we sometimes stand up for a company more than the fans. I'm on the side of the fans. I feel... Like, I understand that New Japan like wasn't completely in the wrong here the one problem i had was that they took the money and didn't communicate to the people that they took the money from right that they well, were, whether, whether they were getting the money back or not like hey you're not going to be in the lottery you're not going to be in the lottery right. that's my one thing now i understand they might have violated their terms of service and this law might have been new quote unquote and i get that but the one thing is like i feel bad for those fans it's like yo those fans were why were those fans paying that money? Why were they going through that service? They wanted to be there. Right. That's the problem. Yeah. You know, and for I don't think it's a good take for for fans to be like, 
screw them. They were trying to defraud New Japan. No, they weren't. They, they were trying, trying, to, trying to support They're them. trying to support New Japan. Yeah. Do you not get that? Like that's the, that's my one thing. Yeah. They love New... Th- those people weren't trying to defraud New Japan. They're paying a premium price to go be a part of New Japan's premier show of the year. Right, and they're paying extra money through this sketchy third-party service in a country they're not familiar with, giving them their details and all this stuff to try and... And, and then for people to be like, oh, you went through a third-party figures... That's that's a bad take. Like I don't think that people. I'll never shit on fans like that. That's my thing. I'll never do that to somebody. I'll never be like, you stupid idiot. You went through shady means to try to pay money to the company. You dumb fan. You dumb fan. That's, <laughs> you mark. That's a terrible attitude. I yeah. hate that. Yeah. Like that's the way that kind of verbiage is the same thing I hear like delusional WWE fans talk about WWE. I'll leave it at that. That's the one thing I hear. Yeah. I'll never talk about it. I love New Japan, but I'll never... And I think they're a great company. And I'm not trying... By posting that, I wasn't trying to say that they're racist or nationalistic or unfair. I think there might be some issues that they need to work out. But I'll never stick up for them over the fans. And I think that anybody who does that needs to kind of take a second look at how they like view wrestling. Because the fan, it's about the fans at the end of the day. It's not about the company. Right. It never is. It doesn't matter what company it is. Period. Yeah. So let's move into the news. Yeah. Let's wrap this show up. <laughs> so um, we've the news is kind of scattered. It's all over the place. So I'm just going to go through it real quick. So uh, this coming week, Sunday night, June 30th, uh, Kawato-san, who is out on excursion, he is going to be facing Auda's for the CMLL light, uh, Lightweight World Championship. That's going to be very interesting. We've seen Ayudas in the Fantastic Mania Tour, and it's great. You know, we haven't really heard much from Kawato lately, so it's great to see that he's getting a title match here. I believe I could be incorrect here, but I think that this is a vacant title. These guys were in some sort of, like, tournament over in CMLL that they, they had a tag together. They won the tag tournament, and now because they won the tag tournament, no, they gotta face they're going to face off for the uh, lightweight title. Uh, Kawato did do a promo all in uh, Spanish to basically build up to this. I've been keeping track of, of Kawato's progress throughout CMLL. He's had very few singles matches. Uh, singles matches that are for titles that are two out of three falls are usually a big deal in Arena Mexico. So I think this uh, uh, he's had some lightning matches, but this is going to be a big test for him. I think I'm going to be tuning in Sunday night to see how Kawato does. I don't think he's going to win. I think Audaz is probably trying to uh, lock up that title and uh, secure himself another bid to be on the um, Fantastic Mania Tour early next year. But yeah. I want to see this. Yeah, so it should be good. That should be good. Um, Super J Cup tickets went on sale uh, today. The Seattle show, that um, which is the first show of the weekend or the first show of the tour, is almost sold out. It almost sold out, sold out in 10 minutes uh there's a few tickets still available but that's a good sign yeah that's a great sign that uh, tacoma area where they saw that epic uh stomping ground (laughs) pay-per-view don't be petty because uh g1 climax tickets are not flying off (laughs) but um it is interesting um there is a working partnership between new japan pro wrestling and defy 
Wrestling, which is one of the major indies out there in the to- Tacoma and Seattle area. Yeah, I mean, guys like uh, Shane Swerve Strickland and Darby Allen have made their names in promotions like that. So Defy is actually helping uh, New Japan. That's why it's being held in Seattle for that first show is because uh, Defy is working with them. Um, August 22nd is going to be the first night of the Super J Cup. And then on August 23rd, there's actually a Defy show that's going to feature New Japan Pro Wrestling talent on it. So, like, a two-night show, basically. <laughs> and then in in July, on the 26th and the 27th, Defy is holding their Super 8 uh, tournament, which is going to have... It's going to feature Tamatanga and other New Japan Pro Wrestlers. But there's a bunch of other guys, like Joey Janela's on that uh, tournament, as well as, like, um, Pentagon Jr., so it appears that Defy Pro Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling have kind of entered into a working relationship. Um, I believe the rest of the tickets for the Super J Cup are on sale now. So if you're in the California, Seattle, where else are they doing? I think it's just those two areas, right? Yeah, that, that West Coast area. Yeah, if you're on the West Coast and you want to attend, I would highly recommend you pick up those tickets because surprisingly enough, they're, they're selling out pretty quickly and doing well. So that's a good good sign. Um, we kind of talked about Hiroki Goto that they were doing a, a Road to the G1 Climax video showcasing him and showing him kind of rebuilding and visiting the LA Dojo, which is really cool. Um, Jushin Thunder Liger will be making his final appearance as a pro wrestler in Mexico for CMLL at Arena Mexico on July 19th. That will be aired both on New Japan World. You can also catch it on uh, YouTube. So... In July, Liger's making his final Mexico appearance, which is a big deal. He's yeah, it's a huge deal. Um, you know, spent some time there. You know, he's kind of doing his farewell tour all across the world. Um, you know, he's already been in the U.S. He'll, I think, he'll, obviously, he'll probably be a part of Super J Cup since he's producing it. Um, but, yeah, you know, final appearance in Mexico. He'll do a final run in the U.K., so. They, um, I mean, he's a former Universal Champion for CMLL. He's held other titles there as well. He's got a very storied past in Mexico, so that's... That's going to be interesting. Um, they also announced uh, John Moxley versus Pentagon Jr. for Northeast Wrestling on August 16th. So that's a signed date. So that's going to be a crazy match. Dude, that's right after the G1. Right after the G1. Like, that's <laughs> crazy. Um, over this past weekend, um, the WSW, which is one of the largest uh, wrestling promotions in Australia, Robbie Eagles was the world champion there. He dropped the title to Marty Skrull this past weekend. Could that be a sign that maybe he's getting ready to upset Will Ospreay for the junior title hmm. during Super Showdown? I don't know. But um, maybe he's wrapping up dates in WSW. I don't know. But, yeah, uh, so I can't wait for the video to drop from that. Definitely want to check that out. Robbie Eagles versus Marty Skrull. Yeah. Um, we talked about Zack Sabre Jr. and Yoshihashi being for the G1 spot uh, this coming week. Next week we will be discussing – both the Super Showdown shows as well. Southern Showdown. Oh, I keep saying Super, Super Showdown. Super Showdown is from Jetta Redacted. I know. From I know. Seth Rollins My Pro bad. Wrestling. Southern Showdown, excuse me, and the Kazuna Road Tour, the final dates of those uh, two tours. Mm-hmm. The free week, free match of the week is Tetsuya Naito versus Tomohiro Ishii in the semifinals of the United States Heavyweight uh, Tournament, uh, inaugural tournament uh, during the G1 Special in USA. Uh, Naito and Ishii always tear it up every time they they wrestle one another. They're going to be in the same block and B block this year in the G1. But if you've never seen their match from the G1 special in USA from a couple years ago, go out of your way, go out of your way and check that out. It's free this week. 
Um, this past week, NHK, which is one of the largest uh, news stations in Japan, did a feature on New Japan Pro Wrestling. They did interviews with Harold Mai as well as Kazushika Okada discussing their expansion into the West and the rest of the world. Um, really, really cool things there. Um, also, New Japan came out with a Road to Super Showdown or ah, <laughs> Road to Southern Showdown featuring Will Ospreay. Uh, that's also on the NJPW 1972 sites free. Definitely check that out. John Moxley did an interview with NJPW 1972 discussing his um, debut with New Japan and different various topics. If you haven't read that, it's, a, uh, it's an actual article. It's really, really enlightening. Um, I, I think he's pretty much done doing interviews, so that's probably going to be one of the last ones he yeah, does I mean, for a while. Yeah, I know on the uh, the Wade Killer podcast, he was pretty much like, you know, it's one of my last one of these. Like, I'm not, like, I'm, I'm, I'm over it now. Like, I got my story out there. Like, I'm done. <laughs> we discussed uh, the whole deal with Moxley and the G1 opening with AEW. Um, over the next few weeks, something that's really interesting during the G1, the LA Dojo Young Lions will be... Uh, on various different shows throughout the G1. And during some of the early shows, they are going to be faced up against the uh, New Japan uh, Young Lion or Japan Dojo Young Lions for the first time ever. Yeah, I think that's going to be awesome. You know, we've been hearing so much about the LA Dojo guys, and we see them on various indies and various shows. It's great to finally see them come to Japan, see what they got on, to be in the New Japan stage. And I think it's great. I hope we see them, you know, more in Japan for the rest of the year. Absolutely. New Japan uh, just uh, filed for a U.S. trademark for John Moxley for the Death Rider uh, trademark. So it looks like that whole Death Rider gimmick is going to be something that's exclusive to New Japan in the U.S. Mm. So that's interesting. Very interesting. Also, this past week, there was a lot of Twitter beef going on with New Japan and WWE talent. So uh, we know that uh, WWE is coming to do a tour in Japan, and they're going to be doing matches with the club, quote-unquote, which will be uh, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, and AJ Styles, and the fourth uh, member of the club, Triple H. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so there was uh, some tweets regarding this uh, between Tamatanga and different people from WWE and different New Japan, basically basically like calling out New Japan or like WWE for like, you know, to not like rip off, rip off the, the, bullet, the club, bullet club, yeah. Or call well, at, club. well, at first, Tamatanga was like, "Yeah, brother H can be a part." Like, what size shirt you wear? And then <laughs> afterwards, he was like, "You know, you're in our territory. Like, what are you doing?" Kind of thing. Yeah, they also mentioned like, why isn't Fergal Devitt part of the club since he, you know, founded it? Yeah, like he's the originator. But you know, um, gotta so- get. No Triple H in there, pal. The big draw. Triple H. For Tokyo. Triple H, part of the Bullet Club. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Also, there was some other Twitter. uh, And if you guys want to read that, there's there's a lot more to it than what we cover there. But uh, there was also some uh, controversy this past weekend between Seth Rollins and the rest of Twitter wrestling world. Yeah, you know, Seth Rollins tweeted out two days ago. He... uh, Quote tweeted a WWE tweet saying best pro wrestling on the planet, period. Uh, his mentions were then melted down. Um, and then um, a day later, he tweeted doubling down best pro wrestling on the planet. Did you see that Cruiserweight title, Cruiserweight triple threat? And that's just one night, one match amongst the many. Find anyone else alive who does what I do as well as I do it. As often as I do it, you can't. Uh, uh, and I the- mean, Will Ospreay <laughs> exists. 
Kazushiko Kata exists. Then Will Osprey. Omega exists. Yeah, Osprey responded, I'm alive. And then Rollins responded, oh, I'm sorry, little guy. We already have a better version of you here, and he just won the first U.S. title tonight. Congrats, King Ricochet. Keep working hard, though, buddy. And then uh, oh, God. Osprey responded with a, <laughs> with, a, with a gif saying, oh, you hard. I actually saw a tweet that uh, Will Osprey put out there, and it was a picture of him, Bea Priestley, and uh, Tony Storm. And he's like, three champions, three different companies – Three different contracts, but we're all supporting each other and hoping for the best. He was like, I hope the rest of the wrestling industry like basically goes off on this. And I was like, oh my god. <laughs> the day that Will Ospreay is the voice of reason when it comes to Twitter wrestling world. Bro, this, this, bro, man, this man Seth Rollins is Seth getting... Seth Rollins, you need to like he's, shut down your freaking... He's getting Ospreay over his baby face. <laughs> he ba- on Twitter. He baby faced uh, Will Ospreay on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Ospreay's probably like, yes, keep keep going. <laughs> You're getting me over, pal. Gonna man up in this dome soon enough. Keep bro, going. <laughs> what's happening to Seth Rollins, bro? bro? He's cracking, bro. Man's 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 hot. He's broken. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Yo, man. why is he freaking out, dude? Like, can't he just accept the fact that like he's not in the like, bro? You're getting paid more than almost anybody else in the wrestling industry. Just be happy, okay? You got a beautiful woman. Be happy with that. You're not the best wrestler in the world anymore. Like, maybe there was a time and a place, but, like... Where you were close. But, like, you know, Tyler Black was in 2010. Like, that was a long time ago. It's 2019. Like, it's done. Period. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Like, can any... You can't tell me he's as good as Okada. Yeah. And and, and after that that main event on Sunday on the stomping grounds... bro. You know what was hilarious? Amy Oilers... Like oh yes, Amy from um, All Things Elite here on Social Suplex. Bro, it she was had like, the it was nicest, like, the, like, dunk. nicest, most like like polite dunk I've ever seen in my life. And I don't even like I'm not even on Twitter, but you guys showed it to me, and she was just like, she's like, hey, I really, I don't, I'm just gonna like, I don't know exactly what. Yeah, she I said, don't know if I. Uh, but she said something along the lines of like, hey, like Seth, you work really hard, you're really passionate about this. I get that, but like, you're not as good as the rest of these wrestlers. Plus the G one's coming up, so maybe you should sit down and shut up. Like, yeah, <laughs> something along those lines. But yeah, it was like the the most p- politest. It was most, like, the most positive dunk on the internet. It was way nicer than what I just said. Yeah. Like what I just said was way meaner. Like I can't be as polite as Amy. Yeah. But Amy dunked on him so hard, and it was hilarious. Yes, dude, I loved it. Anyways, let's move on. So, um, this over the past month, Ring of Honor held their. Uh, War of the Worlds tour featuring numerous uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, talent. Uh, many of the greatest matches from that tour were actually just recently uploaded to New Japan World. So if you get a chance, you can check most of that out. Um, also, this past week, there was news about... We discussed last week that Davey Boy Smith Jr.'s departure from uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, occurred You know, very recently. There was uh, various news regarding some of the reasons why. Apparently, the the newest report is that he did, in fact, quit. Yeah. And some of it had to do with the fact, uh, just what we discussed last week, that there was, like, communication issues. They weren't booking him. He was frustrated with his position in the company. But then some of it had to do with the fact that he was trying to communicate with the company about whether or not he would be booked on the G1 uh, Supercard or whether he could attend the... um, WWE Hall of Fame because of Anvil and uh, Brett. Brett going in. 
and they didn't communicate with him until two hours before the actual event that he wouldn't be booked on the show. Then there was the fact that when uh, Dynamite Kid passed away, he wanted to do like a tribute match and they kind of rejected the idea of it. That, along with some of the other things we discussed in the past, were some of the reasons why he might have left the company. What it feels like to me, though, is like when when you like a when you're dating somebody and you kind of want them to break up with you, so you start treating them kind of bad. Mm. It's kind of what it sounds mm. like to me. Yeah, that's a good good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, Rocky Romero will be doing a special seminar July 9th, twenty nineteen, at the LA Dojo. So, um, if you guys uh, want to. You know, if you're going to be in the L- if you're a wrestler, you want to attend that. Uh, you might want to look into signing up for that because that sounds kind of awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, Robbie Eagles did an interview with uh, Fox Sports Australia in the build up to his match with um, with uh, Will Osprey. That's coming up during uh, Southern Showdown. Um, so definitely check that out. That's online now. And John Moxley uh, had his first signing deal. Um, post WWE release with Rhode Island Comic Con that will be held from September 1st to September 3rd and then finally I want to throw a shout out to the 5 Star Podcast they just recently followed us if you guys aren't familiar with them give them a follow and a listen they're going to be doing a rundown of every single 5 Star rated match and above from uh, Dave Meltzer throughout all of history Um, was there a new New Japan podcast that just came out? Um, I can't. I feel like there wasn't. I don't remember. Let me take a look. Nope, they haven't come out yet. So that is, uh, like I said, if you haven't uh, followed Five Star Podcasts, I gave them a listen. Pretty good listen, actually. So give them a listen. Uh, they they have a really cool Twitter. Give them a follow. I just like to give you know love to some of the other like you know we put we putting people over out here. People over out here. Uh, but that's gonna do it for the news. Yep, and that's gonna wrap up the show. Next week we'll be back with reviews of the June 25th Kazuna Road Show and Southern Showdown. Make sure you check out all our other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays we have One Nation Radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Boy. On Tuesdays, of course, we have us keeping a strong style. On Wednesdays. We have the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling. Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Thursdays, we have NXT, then, now, and forever. On Fridays, we have Get in the Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. On Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr. and Amy. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, I am at Jeremy L. Donovan. This show is at KI Strong Style. Also follow us at Social Suplex on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex on Reddit. Um, I am the pro black guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You can also join us in the Wrestling Sports Circle group on Facebook. Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Sports Circle. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. We will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style. The Ace of podcasts and don't you forget it thank you for listening to keeping it strong style we'll see you next time